And once again, we caution you. These stories are definitely not for the timid soul. So we tell you calmly and very sincerely, if you frighten easily, turn off your radio now. Return to the vanished kingdoms of ancient times. Journey through a lost empire of mad wizards and barbaric passions. Behold the saga of a legendary warrior, a loving father who has the power of a dozen armies in one sweep of his mystic blade. This is a story of honor, disgrace, vengeance, massacre, and a man who became a demon, Shogun Assassin. This is the Bonus Material Podcast. I'm Tom Carnell. Uh, episode 197. I'm flying solo for the first hour. Langley had some obligations he had to take care of. But I'm super excited about this episode. We are here with a guy who uh, is a writer and a journalist and one of the most knowledgeable people I know about Japanese cinema. Please welcome Tom Mess. Yay! Thank you. <laughs> Thanks for coming on, man. I re- it's so I'm odd that we, we work the time out. You are presently in... I'm in Holland, so in Europe, which means there's about a nine-hour time difference. Right on, right on. So, so did... Uh, are, are you... Is that your your country of origin? Yes, it is. Uh, tell me about growing up there, and I, I'm always interested in beginning interviews with, like, getting an idea of where my interview subjects were as a kid and what was the ground soil from which the present day person um, sprung. Uh, so fill me in a little bit about you as a kid. Were you a movie kid? Were you, uh, was there, is there a monster kids in Holland? Um, yeah, there are. There's even a Mr. Horror in Holland. Really? Uh, yeah, Mr. Jan Dunze, who runs the, uh, originally ran the Weekend of Terror Festival, which became the Imagine Fantastic Film Festival. Mm-hmm. And, he, and he is known around the country as Mr. Horror. And uh, so, yeah, there are, uh, it's like a group of monster kids, I guess. Yeah. Um, I was never really a, a, like an organized part of that, because most of those guys are from Amsterdam, and I'm from a different city, from Rotterdam. And of course, you know, Holland is just a very tiny, tiny country, especially if you compare it to uh, the United States. But um, you know, these 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 cities they do make a difference. So, but yes, I mean, from from a very early age, I've I've liked movies and I've liked horror movies particularly. Mm. Um, Do you? Do Initially, you, just from watching them on TV, mostly. Yeah. Do do you do you yourself write fiction and screenplays and that kind of thing, or is it just merely your interpret? Are you an interpreter of of cinema? Um, 
Um, I did, yeah, I guess you could say that as, as a writer and film critic, yes, that's mostly what I do. I worked on the, on, on the screenplay of one Japanese-German co-production. Mm-hmm. I did one draft of that, um, which was called Underwater Love. Okay. Oh, yeah. Which was this sort of like weird, uh, what do you call it, like uh, fantasy musical softcore pornography thing. Uh-huh. Which was shot by Christopher Doyle, you know, Wonka Wise cameraman. Yeah. Wow, so wow. I worked on that. I worked on that and the, the screenplay. There was a couple of other projects that I worked on uh, that I'm sort of still semi-involved with, I guess, but which are out of my hands at the mm, moment. Mm-hmm. So as g- growing up, were you, were you, at what point did you find yourself, because most of what you, you write about uh, in your books are is Japanese cinema. So at what point did you find yourself being pulled in that direction? Um, it started from really early on, like seeing the old samurai movies on TV, Kurosawa films, mm. you know, Seven Samurai, Yojimbo, etc. That really piqued my interest. There was, of course, like, you know, Shoko Sugi ninja movies from the 80s, you know, watching them on VHS. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, there was the Shogun Assassin. Yeah, you know, yeah. From yeah. very early on as well, seeing that on video. Um, God, and well, then... I- I remember IFC used to do Samurai Saturdays, and for a lot of people, like okay. they would they would run these things, and every morning you could get up and find you know everything from from uh, Kurosawa to like the Sleepy Eyes of Death films and just great stuff. Hmm. Yeah, yeah. That sounds cool. It's unfortunately the market here in this tiny country was not all that well developed when I was a kid or a teenager, and uh, so it was really dependent on what was on TV. Mm-hmm. and like uh, rental video afterwards mm-hmm. that was mostly it but then as I got into my teens I started frequenting the, the Rotterdam Film Festival mm-hmm. which is this huge event that's been going on for uh, close to five decades now right and, and then this is like starting late 80s early 90s and they would show a lot of like brand new Japanese films every year wow so that's where I discovered the whole generation of Takeshi Kitano and uh, Shin Yatsukamoto and, you know, you name them, all these guys that came up yeah. during the late 80s and into the early 90s and stuff like Akira and such. For, for me, uh, Japanese cinema was, I grew up without a dad. And so there's a point in my life where in, through cinema, I was looking for role models, and so many of the ones that I pulled were, were out of Chambara and, and that kind of thing. Ridiculous to be in the real world with that kind of a code of ethics. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, I can, I can sort of understand what, you, what you're getting at, I guess, because, uh, you know, they're all, they all have male heroes. And yeah. they have this quite sort of like stoic, idealized, standing up for justice, you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. sort so, of idea. Some people had, you know, cowboys and Indians and, and whatever, but you know, I was out there with a broomstick going like, nah. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's funny how that works, isn't it? Because I have no idea why Japanese movies appeal to me so much. Yeah, I cannot mm. explain it, like, looking at my background or looking at my environment or my family. Nobody has anything whatsoever to do with any foreign culture. Right, right, like right. One from across the globe. Yeah, yeah, but it's isn't it weird that like I remember some of the first uh, samurai cinema that I saw, I felt like 
oh, this is this is my jam. Immediately knowing it was my jam, and it felt comfortable, and it felt like home. And and even though like I'm a guy who sat through all of those Aduichis, and so even though they're really similar, <laughs> um, it was still like something comfortable that I can get into for an hour and a half and be there. And I knew who the bad guys were. I knew who the good guys were. And we both, uh, me and the bad guys, agreed on the you know the bad guy having to having to get his lumps. Um, great, great, uh, uh, much like the American Western, very much so a, a morality play and. Absolutely, that yes. Kind of thing. Uh, did you go to school? Were you a university guy? Is it? Would you have plans like to be an architect or something like that? Uh, and then it changes. No, I never had any particular plans to. to uh, I've always been very bad at doing things I don't like. <laughs> <laughs> so, I like it already, uh, man. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and it's sort of the, I, I say that, and it sort of sounds like okay, that's that's cool, but it also means you have to, you know, you're forced to make a living doing something you like, which isn't all that easy. Yeah, 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 yeah. So. I had like, uh, you know, I had my college degree and uh, I had like a couple of jobs that I didn't really fit into. I don't really fit into an office environment at all. Mm-hmm. So I quit early. I did have a, a, a really great job working for this little studio that made flash animations. Oh, right. Like more than 15 years ago. Mm-hmm. Like the early, early online animation stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I worked there, sort of like a script writer and storyboard artist. Mm-hmm. So that was a lot of fun, but it only lasted two years until the dot-com bubble burst. And then when that was over, I decided, and now I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to write my first book. Okay. And that became, that became the book about Takashi Miike, uh, Agitator. Agitator in 2003? Yeah. I'm, uh, I'm going to get to that in a second. I'm just curious about the timing of all this. You said through the 80s and into the 90s. So this is as both... VHS is happening, and these films are, you're able to get them through, like, tape traders and that kind of thing. But also, the Internet is starting, right? Um, yeah, Internet, I guess, yeah, that's latest. Certainly, when it comes to watching films. Yeah. That's, like, well after, well after 2000. So. Right, right, right. Well, I remember... Well, like, I remember things like, you remember Tom Weiser's uh, Video Search of Miami, if yeah. you dealt with those guys. Yes. They were getting, finally, we could get our hands on these things, you know? Yeah. Nah. Yeah, there was, a, there was a big tape trading scene across across Europe, really. Mm-hmm. It was, that wasn't necessarily limited to just one country. Right, 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 right. Did you guys ever face anything like, like I know in England they had the video nasty thing. Did you guys ever... No, we were, we were the complete opposite. You know, we were the envy of all of all of Europe, basically, because we had the most liberal climate in terms of film releasing and film censorship, which we didn't have film censorship. Mm. And there was, uh, I mean, film age rating was uh, was like a voluntary process. You know, oh wow! Wasn't, there wasn't there wasn't like a, a central organization like the MPAA that did this. Wow! You know, just film distributors themselves could decide. What the age rating was going to be? Wow, that's that that's handy. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I mean, you'd guess like it's a scenario, it's a scenario that's ready for abuse, but it, you know, it never was. Right, 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 right. Stuff was clear. If it was a horror movie. It would be sixteen and over. You know, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And nobody really, nobody really screwed with that at all. So right, right, right. Was, the situation was really clear. Plus, I think yeah. we're we're a little we like to think of ourselves as pretty open minded, but we're pretty puritanical about that stuff, you know. 
about what we'll allow and what we won't allow for our children and blah, 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 blah. And that's not, not that Europe isn't. It's just that we are way... Have, you know, we, we, we're, we're pretty stringent in that stuff, and we like to put labels on things <laughs> and put right. them in the little boxes. Um, at what point did you decide to start writing about the films you were seeing? Um, I guess when I was in college, I just had these, even in, in high school, I had these uh, opinions and thoughts about movies that I was seeing that were completely different from what my classmates were thinking about them. Mm-hmm. You know, I remember one particular occasion was Terminator 2, and that one came out. And everybody was raving about it, and I was going like, uh, why is the Terminator coming up with all these one-liners? It doesn't make any sense. And everyone's like, oh, you're thinking too much, and you're spoiling the fun. And I was like, well, okay, fair enough, but, you know, I, was, I think the first one was better. Uh, yeah, yeah, I, <laughs> I agree. Yeah, when it so, gets to be Henny Youngman, yeah, we're a little, yeah, it's a little tough. Yeah, so it was like there's a situation where I was realizing, like, okay, I have these ideas about movies and nobody else has them. So if I were to write them down, then I have something, some unique viewpoint to offer. Mm. But it didn't really happen until I was well into college a couple of years later. And then uh, with a couple of friends, we set up uh, like an online magazine, you know, e-zine. Yeah. It doesn't really <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. use that word anymore, which is like pre-blogging. So they're trying to do a magazine online. Yeah, I remember back in the day when we were first publishing Carpenter, and we were like listed with fanzines and that kind of thing. Back in the right. day when people would Xerox these things. I know a guy today, Paul Malik, who t to this day he d he prints this little tiny thing every month or so with a bunch of movie reviews, and he just hands it out to the people. He has to get a little mailing list, and it's awesome that uh, he has that outlet, you know. Absolutely. I mean, I'm sure he does it because he really enjoys the process. Yeah, absolutely. And so right. often I think people, uh, I'm going to include myself in there, in that we, we, in the real world, when we try to talk to people about this thing that we love, we get a lot of like, ooh, <laughs> you know, rolling of the eyes and like uh, backing away. But yeah. I, I found that by talking about film on paper, here was my chance to get all of that out and to put it out that people could look at and give me feedback. And yeah, and you would it would sort of like it was like a you start sort of start making like a selection process for people. So like people realize that you're doing this magazine, so they come to you, mm -hmm. and you know you realize you share a taste. Yeah, it's yeah, like yeah. it's like what the Ramones, you know, the Ramones said, like we got together because we were the only Stooges fans in our area. <laughs> yeah, yeah when they were growing up, they would say like, "Oh, I like the Stooges," and then everybody would go like, mm, "You know, what the hell is that?" You know, <laughs> they wouldn't even come near them. And then, as they got you know older into into uh, high school, they found out that they were like the four Stooges fans that <laughs> that you know lived in their area. Yeah, yeah. Well, when they started a band. Yeah, absolutely. With fanzines, it's the same other thing. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I remember, if you, I don't know if you remember Fact Sheet 5. It, was a it used to review all these little, minuscule little zines that were being put out. And every month they'd, okay. they'd put out this vault, the, another edition of their, sort of like a magazine. And it would, it would review these and tell you how to get your hands on them. It was a great time. Um, and then the internet came, and everyone realized that there was no money in printing anything. <laughs> well, it was never about the money in the first place, but yeah. of course, it, it helps not to have to spend as much. <laughs> <You know? laughs> it doesn't matter if you if you make it back, but it's just 
you know, if if the sacrifice is a little bit uh, less uh, less serious, then it would help. Right. So that's how I started out not doing uh, not doing zines like paper zines. That was my original intention, but right. I ended up, you know, doing it online with a couple of friends. Is that what is, it, is that what became Midnight Eye? No, this was something that happened uh, like three or four years before Midnight Eye, but it was quite important for Midnight Eye because that's how I got into into um, into contact with Jasper Sharp, the guy I would start Midnight Eye with. Okay, because he w- he wrote into this previous website that we were doing. Because I was doing film reviews and a lot of stuff like horror stuff and genre stuff and Hong Kong action films and Japanese films, and he wrote in saying, "You know, I'd, I'd love to do like uh, regular film writing for your for your website." Mm-hmm. And he sent in a couple of ideas of what he could be writing about, and one of those ideas was to Japanese cinema. And at that point, I was walking around with the idea of doing a website on Japanese film mm-hmm. specifically. Because the previous website is sort of like, you know, everybody had gone there in like professional way. We'd all graduated, started jobs, etc. Not everybody has the same passion or the same amount of time, you know, available to, to devote to doing a website for fun. Right. So I was thinking of doing something else. And uh, Jasper came along and I was like, uh, well, my current website is sort of dying. But, you know, I was thinking of doing something about Japanese cinema. Let's, you know, let's get together and talk. Mm-hmm. And that ended up becoming Midnight. And yep, exactly. Very, very cool. Very cool. Uh, let's see. Um, sorry. Uh, I, I want to talk about the. Um, you had mentioned Agitator, and and you've done two books on Takashi Miyake. Yes. What? I know why I'm a fan, but I want to hear <laughs> why you are. Um, to me, the first film I saw by Mike was uh, Dead or Alive okay. at the Rotterdam Film Festival in uh, January 2000. And January 31st in 2000, and I still know because I queued uh, the, tip, the ticket stub. Mm. <laughs> and uh, it was a film with that, that opening scene and that ending scene, like it completely blew me away. And not just me, it was like it was the talk of the festival. Yeah, and, and they also showed audition during the same festival, which I saw right after that. Uh-huh. Yeah, so yeah. I was like, who the hell is this guy? This is amazing. And that edition, of the festival happened to be devoted to to Japanese cinema specifically, because it was the 400th anniversary of diplomatic relations between Holland and Japan. Mm. And uh, so there were a lot of Japanese guests walking around. And, you know, it's it's a film festival and it's pretty easygoing atmosphere. So I got to talking to to a few people and talking about this guy Takashi Miike, and, uh, and and I was saying to one to one guy who happened to be a film producer, I said, "This movie Dead or Alive, it's it's astonishing, it's amazing." And he said to me, "You know what? Miike made an even better film a few years ago, and I'm going to send it to you on VHS as soon as I get back to Japan." And sure enough, a couple of weeks later. And this package arrives, and inside is a VHS with a movie uh, called Full Metal Yakuza. <laughs> uh, which I had no idea what it was, but the title sounded amazing. Yeah, I'm in. And this is one of his you know, straight-to-video movies from the mid-90s. Mm-hmm. Uh, with, you know, it's basically a Yakuza version of Robocop. <laughs> and it's insane, and it's this crazy low-budget 
a hugely inventive, fun, crazy, totally, totally Mickey. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And yeah. from there on in, it was. Uh, uh, I, I took my first first trip to Japan, uh, early two thousand and one. Mm-hmm. This is a couple of months afterwards, and it just went all over Tokyo, just trying to pick up all these ex-rental VHS tapes mm-hmm. of his old his old movies from the nineties, mostly his straight to video stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I took like a suitcase full of Mike VHS <laughs> tapes back with me to Europe. Yeah, it's hilarious. I well, my entry was like much everyone else's, you know, audition, itchy the killer, that kind of thing. And I mm-hmm. knew immediately that this was the guy who had something to say. Um right. and I'm a little I'm wrapped a little tight, so immediately I go to his IMDB, print it out and go, let's start uh, you know, checking these off one by one. Mm-hmm. Um, and the thing that I came away with, uh, even without uh, within the first few days of, of sort of diving deep, was the breadth of his work. Like this guy could do literally anything. Right. I, I mean, yeah. I always tell people: on one hand, I'm going to hand you Itchy or Audition. On the other one, I'm going to hand you Bird People of China, which I think is a, <laughs> I think is a beautiful film. Yeah. And um, and then I tell the people whoever I give it to, same guy, and they don't believe me. It's just amazing, and how yeah. pro- and how prolific he is just knocks me knocks me out every time. Right, yeah, there's like four films a year, sort of legend. I mean, there's been there's been years that he's done seven or even more yeah. in one year. Well, and and at least ha- at least half of them are going to be really really interesting. Agreed, agreed. The other thing is that some of them, some of the whole films, they they have a feel. Some of the Yakuza things, it's like, well, you know, we got like six black suits and white button ups, and we got some guns, and and it's it feels like a let's put on a play kind of thing, but there's a salient story there, and it's it it sticks true to all of the the tropes of the genre, and uh, just amazing that he can do literally anything. Yeah, I think that's really the 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 the, um, the influence of working for the video market mm. during the 1990s, which was s- such a incredibly productive, so commercially successful that you know they could just go on and on and on making films. Yeah, just amazing. And of course, most of the, I mean, this is for the video shelf, so these have to be like recognizable genre movies. Mm-hmm. You know, at the very least, they need to be able to make a, a nice-looking packaging. You know, that promises all the the expected ingredients. Yeah. And if you have that, then as a filmmaker, you can just do basically whatever you like because these movies are made for very little money, so there's very little financial risk. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. That's how this stuff comes about. And then you have a you have a situation with someone like Mike who has a like a, a quite unique personality and a quite unique a view on how to make films and how to make films interesting and he's in a position to just crank them out one after another and to like really hone his skills and become a better storyteller and a better filmmaker mm-hmm. very very quickly yeah it's just and then at the same time have have quite a lot of creative freedom to just you know indulge his own ideas and his own whims Right, and at this point, it becomes—it's almost like David, in a weird way, like David Lynch, where it's like, "Hey, there's a new Miyake," and it's like, "Yep, I'm in. I don't care what it is, I'm in." <laughs> you know, same, right. same, same exact way. Yeah, yeah. Um, the thing, also, the thing that gets me is that um, you know, when you look at things like like Yatterman and and some of the more kid-oriented stuff, 
uh, it adds this other dimension <laughs> to his ability that just blows me away. Yeah, that's true. I mean, mm, you know, I think first of all, he's a father, and even now he's a grandfather. Mm. So I think he's always had the desire to sort of like do something that his kids will enjoy. And, uh, and it's, I think it's basically because at some point he became, a, you know, mainstream mainstream commercial filmmaker. Yeah. It was uh, that in the horror movie, One Missed Call, which is sort of like a post-ring sort of yeah. knockoff, but it was also kind of a satire of that sort of J-horror style. Yeah. But that was a huge success at the box office in Japan, whereas before that, you know, his films have been successful enough within their own parameters, but these were like straight-to-video parameters, mm-hmm. not like a major box office hit. Agreed. So once he, once he had that, you know, they started asking to do like a great yokai war, which is you know big special effects blockbuster aimed at the kids like summer, mm-hmm. kids summer market, and that became a success as well. So, but it's interesting because he he never varying too far from his from his uh, methodology. The I look, I'm looking at his IMDb, and the, the film after Great Yokai War was Big Bag Love, which is decidedly not for children. You know, so it's it's. That kind of freedom. I, I wonder if Amer- uh, Western filmmakers look at that kind of freedom and they're jealous. Mm, yeah. Well, I'm not the one to ask. But <laughs> there is. I mean, there is. I mean, Japan still makes uh, close to 400 films a year, every year. Wow. Yeah. So there's going to be a, a breadth of, of uh, genres and, and approaches there that you're not going, not likely to find in most of the countries. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And. Um, it, you know, Japan doesn't really have, certainly for filmmakers, the kind of, uh, uh, you know, sort of like agencies trying to put together packages. It, that, it works similarly for actors, but it doesn't really work that way for directors. Mm. Hmm. So, if someone like me, but of course, Miki is also sort of like an odd one out. You know, there's not there's not that many filmmakers in Japan even that have, you know, that are in a position to have that sort of like a breadth of styles and genres to work in. Right, 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 right. Yeah, I I, I just, am, even when he makes a film that I don't care for, I'm still amazed by it. Yeah, just the... It's, go ahead. You can, you, you, you can never tell what kind of film it's going to be. You know? <laughs> <laughs> even if you know the, the, the topic or you've seen the trailer, then you sit down and watch the film and he always surprises you. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. I'm I'm curious also. Um, I mean, I was looking at uh, you up on uh, the internet, uh, the always reliable internet. I found on Amazon it lists two books that you translated: Night in Fog, a film history, right. a film in history, and Cinema and Showa. Was right. that was that a for hire gig where you were handed a text and you were just translating, or did you have any wor- did you do any work involved with those? Uh, I, I, I uh, yeah, I was a translator on both those books. They were originally a French language publications. Wow! And uh, since I lived in in France for close to ten years, I speak the language quite well. Mm. And I used to do translation work for like a Cahiers du Cinéma and such. Okay. Very cool. Into stuff into English, and that's how those two books happened. Okay, and, what, and also something I found uh, two thousand eight. Tokyo Life Art and Design by uh, by put out by Rizzoli. Yeah, is that something you did? What would you do for that? 
Uh, Jasper and I did the, the, the film section, so the whole thing is sort of like an overview of like who's who's at the forefront of all the various sectors of art and design in, in Japan. This is from about ten years ago, yeah, as you uh-huh. said. So there's like a, there's like a fashion section and a photography section and a, and the architecture section, etc. And there's a film section. Nice. It looks and like a beautiful book. It's amazing. It's like a huge coffee table, yeah. art cover. Well, Rizzoli, right? I have a couple of Rizzoli did a book on the fountain I bought, and it's just beautiful. You know, they yeah. do such good yeah. work. Uh, tell me about Midnight Eye Guide to New Japanese Cinema in 2005. Uh, well, this was a, this was just an idea to sort of. Uh, uh, Make like a companion volume to the website, uh, and do What's something. Do, do really do a book, like a companion book. Uh-huh. And since we had interviewed so many Japanese filmmakers in the years leading up to that, we had a lot of material lying around. Yeah, 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 um, yeah. So we figured that rather than as you know, at Midnight Eye, what we used to do is like we put up an interview and we put up reviews and then we put up essays and these were sort of like separate entities. Mm-hmm. Um, of course, we would link between them, but we put them up all separately. So we sort of felt like, well, it would be great if we could do these in-depth profiles of leading filmmakers of that moment, and right. then really combine all this information that we have. Absolutely. Well, you know, we we did that as well, where where it's a sort of gathering. We gather a bunch of interviews together and put them out in an ebook, where it was where it was a just a way to sort of not only monetize the information of the data, but also to sort of compile it. And I think that's always good, especially when you're dealing with a website or something where things are so uh, immediate. Like the shelf life on any review or any even an interview online, it's days, right? Yeah, it's like it shortens all the time. But yeah, and it's also the idea of just physical media. Mm. You know, holding your own book in your hand is yeah. just... Such a it's such a privilege. It's such a wonderful experience. Yeah, there's nothing. Mm. I the smell is awesome. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yeah. So tell me about um, Iron Man, the the cinema of Shinya Tsukamoto, the book you did in 2005. Yeah, that's um, that's the one I did after Agitator, basically uh, in the same. It was sort of like the same style. I had, I had asked Skamoto to write the afterword to Agitator. And he did a great piece. I asked him originally just for a blurb, like a back cover blurb, and he sent in this whole really wonderful text, so I put it in as an afterword. Uh-huh. And then I uh, I, uh, I sent him the book, and uh, shortly after that, I met him at a festival in Paris with uh, when he had Snake of June. Mm. Which is 2003, I guess. It was would have been like a few months after Agitator had come out, and uh, we were talking, and I sort of said, like, "Okay, next, let's do a book about you." <laughs> and he said, "All right, let's do it." And it just happened nice. that way, basically. And yeah. uh, I decided to approach it slightly differently because with Mike, I had uh, at that point when I wrote it, like 48 or 50 films to write about, so. I just focused on the, like the analyses of, the, of all the films. But with Kamoto, he had only made um, seven or eight. 
So I needed to find a slightly different approach. So I put like a lot of background information about the making of each film, and I interviewed a lot of the the people involved, actors and uh, people on the staff, and uh, his regular composer, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's another guy, much like Miyake, I think, that landed on these shores anyway, really hard. Where it was like with Miyake, it was audition and Ichi, and with Tsukamoto, it was uh, Tetsuo, where immediately yeah. everyone was talking about it, and very much, I noticed, I feel like they're similar filmmakers in that they they they, they do what they want, and it's uh, 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 have this great visual style. That's true, even though they work on a very different on a very different set of circumstances. I mean, Tsukamoto is a 100% independent filmmaker. Mm-hmm. And uh, even though there's like a like a stylistic affinity there and, and sort of like a similar taste to to Miike and Tsukamoto, um, as filmmakers, the way they function within the industry is completely different. Miike is totally a commercial filmmaker, director for hire, but Tsukamoto is 100% independent. So each wow. film, he goes around doing everything, basically from uh, from. Uh, from the from the first idea to the writing of the script to gathering the funds to making the film to editing to uh, finding the distributor and even being involved in in like the marketing campaign. So he he did the remake of Fires on the Plane. That was that was at his um, insistence or motivation. Absolutely yes. Wow. That's, that's an idea that he'd had for years even before he got around to making it. Uh huh. He'd had that lying around. He was he'd been trying to get that off the grounds for several years. Yeah, the the I've seen the original dozens of times, and it's amazing. Um, have not seen this one, and I'm dying to. Definitely, you should. Right Definitely, you should. Though it helps to it helps to not see it as a remake. I mean, with a oh. remake, you get this sort of like, you know, the original is sort of like this is something that's enshrined, mm-hmm. you know, fires on the plane. Yeah, it's one of the greats, and there's no way you're going to ever, ever going to rival with that. Mm-hmm. So it's best to see it as as a, a, a new, a new variation, the same thing. I mean, both of them. And the ori- there was an original novel, mm. so Tsukamoto just went back to the novel, and it's like, okay, what is it that I want to get out of this story? Oh, what that's great. That appeals, what is it that appeals to me as the filmmaker, Tsukamoto? Yeah, not be beholden to the film, but go back to the source material. That's great. Exactly, yeah. Oh, I'm even more excited. Great. Um, go for it. <laughs> so uh, tell me about now um, 2017's Unchained Melody, the films of Mieko, Mieko Kaji. What was it about her in particular that made you want to do an entire book on her? Ah, the eyes. Ah. The stare. You know, that's that's how that's what it all started with. And of course the female prisoner scorpion films and, mm. and Lady Snowblood like everybody else basically. Yeah. Um what happened was that I had been talking to a, a DVD distributor about doing like this extra deluxe box set. Uh, this was still pre Blu ray, so this was going to be D V D of the female prisoner scorpion films. Mm-hmm. The four and we're going to do the four films plus like a like a like a deluxe booklet, and I was going to write the the, the booklet as sort of like a, a mini biography mm-hmm. of her of her career. And then 
you know, this was sort of like mm, 2007 or 8, I guess. Okay. When the DVD market was sort of starting to deflate. And uh, the companies are like, you know, we're going to drop the idea of doing uh, doing any sort of printed material. So we're just going to put out a box set with the four films. So I said, okay, fair enough, you know. And but I had already started writing it. Uh huh. And I continue. I just continued writing it over the years that followed. And then it was sort of like once I once I had finished it without any actual prospect of. Whether it's going to, whether it was ever going to be published, or by whom, I had it lying around for a while, and then you know knocked on a couple of doors. And, uh, eventually, Arrow, they were going to do their uh, female prisoner Scorpion Blu-ray set now, mm-hmm. and so this is several years on, and I suggested the same idea, and they went like, mm, no, maybe not. But we think perhaps it's even a better idea to do a standalone book about her. Nice. And at this point, Arrow hadn't hadn't published any books yet. So as we were talking about this idea, I guess they got more and more enthusiastic about the idea of publishing books. And they did this sort of like test test publication, which was their Arrow cult cult cinema companion, mm-hmm. which is sort of like a very different book, it was like a large oblong hardcover but I guess it did pretty well and I had an essay on, on Meiko Kaji in there and they said like okay yeah how are we gonna we're gonna go ahead and start an Arrow Books imprint and uh, your Meiko Kaji book is going to be the first publication on that mm. nice. so that's what really set the ball rolling it was uh, quite a long process but eventually we got there well I remember her from the um, Stray Cat Rock movies yeah. and and all of that the girl gang movies that were uh, right. sort of a, a, a thing for a while and then later I I was uh, exposed to the female prisoner stuff and like Lady Snowblood and just amazing and I agree with you it's it's just one of those people that you they come on screen and you immediately are, are drawn to it to them right and you, and like you can't get enough of it you know it's just so incredibly watchable and and there's this aura of mystery because she never, she never sort of pandered to the audience. She never, she always refused to do nudity for the most part, and um, it's like so she she had this sort of air of defiance as mm-hmm. a person as well, right? And that really translated into into the roles that she played. And this was at a time, you know, six. You're talking through the '60s, through the '70s, and on, where uh, that wasn't being done. There wasn't a lot of women that could carry a film yeah well yeah I mean there's a lot of there's a lot of similar stuff that was made around the same time you know a lot of these like female Yakuza tale and uh, you know Sex and Fury and all that stuff and delinquent delinquent high school whatever (laughs) (laughs) they all have these really wonderful titles and they're they're, they had their actresses to do that sort of thing yeah, but Meiko Kaji was uh, was just a cut above. She just had this presence, and also just like again this defiance to not to not play by the rules. And, you know, whereas all these all these other films in these genres, sort of nudity by the main actors was was, was standard. Right. 
and and but she she refused, and it didn't matter because you know it's not like the films are missing anything. No, they have an extra dimension because of her, because of the way she approached all these characters in these films. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The the idea that even while nudity can inform a character, the lack of nudity can also inform. You know, and give Absolutely. give you insight into who she is and that kind of thing. Absolutely, yeah. Very, Absolutely, very cool. yeah. Uh, do you have do you have favorites among between with Mieke Sukamoto and then Miyako Kaji? Do you have favorites? Sure, yeah. um, definitely. I mean, uh, with Mieke, Dead or Alive, the first Dead or Alive is still a favorite. Mm -hmm. uh, the second one, I perhaps like even more, Dead or Alive too. Yeah, uh, I really love Shinjuku Triad Society. Yeah. Um, all all the three, like the Black Society films, uh, are really good. But that's my favorite. Mm -hmm. um, Ichi the Killer is a film that really gains a lot uh, from repeated viewing. <laughs> believe it or not, yeah. No, no, it, absolutely, it's an astonishing film and a really beautiful film as well. Um, so for Mike, those are my those are pretty much my favorite. There's another one. Like one of his almost basically straight to video films from the mid 90s called Young Thugs Nostalgia, mm -hmm. which came out on DVD a long time ago and never again after that, unfortunately. But yeah. it's sort of, that's sort of like, as the title says, it's sort of like a nostalgic piece about growing up in the sticks and sort of getting into fights yeah, when, yeah. when you're a little kid. I, I was, it was funny, um, I was talking to my wife about talking to you today, and at just by luck, uh, Happiness with the Katakuris came up on Shudder. And I'm like, eh, okay. well, this is totally, this is totally what we're talking about. And <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's great stuff. It's, talking about how prolific and how diverse Mika is. That's Absolutely. That's an odd one out, even for Mika. And, you know, you mentioned Tsukamoto's uh, Snake of June, which I think is, is a beautiful film. Yeah, it's amazing. Yeah. It's one of those ones that... Uh, I had to double check. Like, is this really the guy that did Tetsuo? Because it, <laughs> it's so different and it's so shot so well, so beautiful. Yeah, that's true. It's gorgeous. Yeah, that would be, uh, in terms of favorites of Tsukamoto's Snake of June and probably Tokyo Fist, those yeah. two. <laughs> yeah, let's love that stuff, man. And then uh, the Miyaki, Miyako Kaji stuff, probably the female prisoner. Female Prisoner Scorpion, especially the second one, the mm -hmm. Jailhouse 41. That's a great one. Um, also, Lady, Snow, Lady Snowblood 2 really gains on me every time I watch it. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, the uh, both of the uh, with the you just mentioned it, the um, female prisoner movies and um, Battle with Honor and Humanity are on Shutter as well. I just saw. Cool. Here, very cool. Uh, and then finally, I want to want to talk a little bit about your new book, Father, Son, Sword: The Lone Wolf and Cub Saga. Uh, we just did a big a big episode on the the Shogun Assassin and the Lone Wolf films, and and they're big favorites of both of ours. Uh, tell me, was this a natural progression, another cornerstone of Japanese cinema that you were looking to cover, or do these films have a special place in your heart? Yeah, they do. Uh, as, I, as I said earlier, Shogun Assassin was one of those, you know, video experiences that I saw early and left left a huge, huge impression. And um, then, of course, after that, learning that this was originally a six-film series, and then when they started coming out uh, separately, 
checking them out and then being hugely impressed even more. Mm-hmm. And I still really love Shogun Assassin. I think it's it, with what they were, what they set out to do, they did it really, really well. Yeah, and it still holds up today, very much so, as as like a, a true companion to the original films. Mm-hmm. That Absolutely. is an excellent, excellent job on that one. Um, so yeah, that was it. And really, the 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 genesis of the book was very similar to what happened with the Meiko Kanji book. It was. You know, similarly, it was going to be uh, a box set DVD release with with a deluxe booklet, mm. and then uh, the company changed its mind, and then the company just completely even stopped uh, putting out DVDs. And then I had this finished book, essentially finished book, a manuscript, but the company that had uh, commissioned it from me was just not not active anymore. So I had to essentially wait out contract mm. oh man and until the rights reverted to me <laughs> so it was basically it was it was shelved and wow. then and it's, and the same thing was again with the Mega Kanji book it's something that always stayed with me and I really felt like you know this 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 has to be this has to appear in some form yeah, and then after uh, after I guess the Mega Kanji book did really well for Arrow and they started putting out other books as well and they started putting out books that were not necessarily only about films that they put out themselves because mm-hmm. they did like a Blair Witch Project and a Ghost in the Shell and a lot of other stuff that they don't have the rights to as mm. film distributors mm-hmm. so I said well I've got this Lone Wolf and Cup thing lying around um, what do you think and they said yeah let's do it awesome yeah I did there's so the, these these are films I think that um, like you don't there, there's not a lot of prep you're in you're at I mean you're in you get it you're on your way and uh, uh, unlike a lot of these they're 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 cut from the same cloth but they're wildly diverse and they're and they're never uh, and it spawns this whole sort of almost like shame thing of the older person and then the younger and, and leading them through and the young person is an avatar for the audience and it's I love these movies they're just amazing um, and yeah. I love any time that an actor shows that he knows what he's doing on screen and t- man Thomas Saburo Wakayama does that in spades absolutely yeah he was he was fully trained I mean he was a big guy but he was really agile and he really knew he really knew his sword fighting, you know. Yeah, I had he was, read. He was completely up to it. Yeah, I had read. Uh, he had trained in kempo, iado, kendo, and bojutsu, which is classical, but it's good stuff, you know. If you need as a, as an actor doing period action movies in Japan. Yeah, I bet exactly. You know, it's the same way. And uh, I'm uh, his brother. Uh, he was also a, a, a trained. Who played um, Shintaro Katsu? Who played Zadoichi was also trained. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes, absolutely. They came from they came from a kabuki family. Their father was not a kabuki actor, but one of those people that do like the, the choruses and the music mm. behind the behind the stage performances. Um, so they were trained initially as singers, but they went through the whole like kabuki uh, kabuki training as kids. So it involves a lot of like physical action as well. Wow, shades of uh, p- picking opera score, right? 
with yeah, the Jackie is, Chan and the Samo stuff. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Very much so, yes. Wow, wow, wow. Uh, so, tell me, was were you able to talk to any of the family of the actors of the production, or was it strictly from the production side of things? Um, unfortunately, no. I was not able to, to interview anyone uh, for this one myself, but uh, a good friend of mine was the guy who made the, 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 the documentary about uh, Lone Wolf and Cub that was originally originally was on the French DVD box set, but it later came out on the Criterion set as well. Mm-hmm. And so he had all the all the, the like the rough material that he cut his documentary out of. Oh wow! That he shared, that he shared with me. Oh, so that's he great. Sent me, he sent me like the complete interview transcriptions and and whatnot. So that was that was hugely hugely helpful in doing the, doing the research. Mm-hmm. Do you think that uh, those these films could be redone today? Well, they have been redone. I mean, the, the Lone Wolf and Cup has been redone as as TV series, especially numerous times. So yeah, they okay. can be redone uh, as like as a property, you know, as as characters. Mm-hmm. You're not going to get the same style or, or atmosphere at all. Yeah, I wonder if it would if the by. Tr- Transposing it to another time or another genre. All oh, right. Yeah, yeah, there was like this uh, this American comic book spinoff, wasn't there? Yeah, 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 it, yeah. It was like a science fiction near future thing. Well, as I recall, it had some. One of them had. I read at one point something to do with Daigoro growing up and doing right. a whole thing there. So. You know that that did happen. I mean, uh, Kazuo Koike, the original, the guy who originally wrote Lone Wolf and Cub, he did uh, like a follow-up manga series. Yeah, with, with Tiger Road. It basically picks pick up where the, the, the Lone Wolf and Cub series ends. Mm. Yeah, so you see him growing up gradually. Very cool. Very cool. For, uh, let me ask you a little bit about Japanese cinema and where do you think it's going now? I mean, it's. They're, they have their own market there, and they're and they're and they're as you say creating 400 films a year. And um, uh, but do you see trends and stuff happening there like they happen here? Sure. Um, well, the, f- the fact that Japan has its own sort of like domestic market is both a blessing and a curse. It's a blessing because they can still make 400 films a year, but it's also a curse because they don't really need to look beyond their own borders. Mm. So it's it becomes it can become kind of insulated and sort of incestuous, where movies just become part of you know the general uh, media landscape where movies are based on manga or based on successful TV series or based on successful novels. And uh, they just become one part of the sort of like content industry, which is what's been happening the past few years. Mm. So m- movies don't have the same sort of you know status anymore that they used to have, where they were just you know they're sort of like they're standalone and they were they had their own pride in making movies. They're sort of like uh, yeah, just part of the, of the big content industry now. Like just product, generic. Product like this is your generic yeah. rom com, and this is your generic, you know. Yeah, this this is your generic, uh, um, you know, uh, sort of like CGI fantasy fest with uh, whoever happens to be the hot teen idol of that moment, you know, with sort of like a big uh, big manga wig 
and then uh, that's sort of the thing that they've been churning out a yeah. lot. And certainly, Mika, Takashi Mika has been making some of those films <laughs> uh, as well, because you know that's, that's just what well, he's making what everything. Gets made now. <laughs> well, that's what gets made now. I mean, in the 1990s, they would make uh, they would make horror and 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 gangster movies, and now they make these sort of like CGI pseudo blockbusters you know, based mm. on, on manga or uh, animation. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's the same way I guess is happening in China as well. You know, people looting pop culture and what have you for more. Yeah, time. and it's it's there's also this this idea of trying to outdo Hollywood yeah. you know, on its own terms, yeah. which is kind of silly because that's like trying to do Lone Wolf and Cub again today. It's mm-hmm. going to be different. You're never going to outdo Hollywood by being like Hollywood. So it makes a lot more sense for for uh, Japan or China to really find its own style and its own voice. Yeah, and they—I mean—they have the filmmakers. It's just they have the filmmakers and they have the technology and they have everything. Yeah, it's just that they just sort of like they they try to transplant the Hollywood blockbuster model, mm-hmm. and the result more often than not is something that's really bland and doesn't really reach the standards of, of a Hollywood film. Yeah, yeah, agreed. And it's it's the same way with the with the not to shit on the superhero movies here in America, but it's like you know it's it's filmmaking by committee. It's 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 there's no single singular voice that like a Miyake or a Sukumoto that gui- that's guiding this. It's this corporate entity that is sh- b- sort of piloting this giant shit. You know, it's very yeah, different. Yeah, very much so. Very different. Yeah, um, filmmaking by committee for sure. And then the the problem is you get less and less choice. Yeah, you know, yeah. It's 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 all it's all superhero movies or nothing. You know? Yeah, <laughs> that's how it feels sometimes. It feels that of way course, now. It's not really true, but it feels that way. Uh, yeah, agreed. Although you know, with the th- with the advent of things like you know Netflix, who seem to be just finding things, you know. And, and yeah, exactly. You know, every action gets a what, as, as they say, every action receives an equal and opposite reaction. So, <laughs> if if the Hollywood major studios leave these huge, huge markets and and demographics uncatered to, then somebody else is definitely going to do it. Agreed. Agreed. Are there films that you're excited about now that are coming out? Um, I can't really say that I am. Really. Um, yeah, <laughs> sorry. No, 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 no. I think, I, well, I think mostly because I also, in addition to the books that I've, I've been doing, I've also started teaching at university mm-hmm. uh, on Japanese cinema and anime and such. So a lot of what I do lately is going back mm. and revisiting existing stuff and older stuff and just finding uh, like new, new inroads and new ways of looking at those things. Do That's you- been... Main, my main thing. Do you find that students are excited, get excited as you do about this stuff? Well, I don't expect them to get as excited. As, <laughs> as I, or I should say, I don't expect them to get excited in the way that I do. Yeah, they have they have their own uh, way of going about appreciating the stuff that they like, and they don't have to appreciate what I like in the way that I like it. Um, tomorrow, um, uh, I'm doing my uh, anime studies seminar. It's going to be on cyberpunk. Mm-hmm. And uh, after that, in the evening, I'm going to take uh, take them to see uh, uh, a big screen, uh, a big screen screening of Akira. Nice. Yeah. 
And yeah. uh, definitely excited about seeing that one on the big screen. I can tell you. Yeah. How, do you? What are your thoughts on the the proposed? Um, I know Johnny Collette Sarah has been talking about trying to get it done live action. What are your thoughts on that? From what I hear, the director who's now attached is uh, uh, Taika Waititi, who did the really. Yeah, wow. that's the last thing I heard, and mm-hmm. that could be uh, that could be that is promising. Yeah, I would say. And uh, well, I mean, there's there's a huge long running graphic novel mm-hmm. that you know that contains so much of stuff, so much stuff that wasn't in the film. Right. So if they're going to do like a live action version. There's definitely material there that's going to allow you to do something unique without trying to imitate the movie because you're going to fail if mm-hmm. you try to do that. Yeah. Well, I think so there are, think there, are th- there are things that are that you are going to be like gear, right? Like you need that motorcycle chase somewhere in a movie. In the movie, you need certain things, and um, but I agree that broadening the palette would definitely open up your ability to not reinvent the wheel. You know what I mean? Right, because you're never going to please people if you're trying to do the same thing. I mean, look at the ghost in the shell film. I right? was just going to say, I was just going to bring that that's, up. But even, you know, even there, I thought, okay, they took bits and pieces out of, you know, the different, the different incarnations. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, it had but, its moments. It was pretty. There were moments where I'm it like, "Oh, that's pretty," and then, all right, <laughs> we're yeah. back in the land. But also, and also, it's like they they just turned it into uh, this love story, you know, reuniting the the lovers in their in their second incarnation. Yeah, idea, which yeah. Yeah, is completely alien to what Mamoru Oshii was doing with with his films, of course, mm-hmm. with the two animated films that he did. Yeah, absolutely. That, that was that was like going completely beyond this, uh, like the norm of this heterosexual couple that has to get together and then they start a family and they're happy. You know, mm-hmm. he was he was subverting that completely. Yeah, so it was weird that they did that. Absolutely. Uh, tell me about what you're working on right now. Um, I'm, I'm, I was Thank up till uh, a few hours ago. I was preparing tomorrow. <laughs> tomorrow. Oh yeah, you have class. Yeah. Uh, so that's um, that's what I'm going to be doing mostly for uh, the, the coming the coming months. It's like preparing my classes. In the meantime, I hope to uh, finish up my book on the Japanese straight to video industry, mm. which oh. was originally which was originally my PhD dissertation. Mm-hmm. And so I, lo- I was looking at this strange strange fact that uh, someone like Takashi Miike or Kiyoshi Kurosawa who spent so much of their career doing these cheap straight-to-video films that only ever were released in Japan. How could these people possibly become the most famous Japanese filmmaker of the filmmakers of this day? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I'm in. That sounds sounds great. That's one copy sold. (laughs) Tell me about how people can find you on the Internet. Um, Good question, actually. Well, Midnight Eye... Still exists. I mean, we we retired it a few years ago, mm-hmm. but everything we did in the 15 years that that it was a running website is still up there. MidnightEye.com. Nice. Um, uh, I'm on Twitter and uh, on Facebook. Uh, not much of the other stuff because I'm not really a smartphone kind of person. <laughs> constantly checking their phone and posts and stuff. 
Yeah. Uh, but that's kind of relaxing. Yeah, <laughs> Not yeah. To have to do that all the time. I know it's it becomes this full time job where you're you know you I have a whole hit list where you you have to go to Twitter, you have to go to Facebook, you have to go to Instagram, and it's it's so beside the point to what I want to be doing, and that's writing. So it's distracting. Yeah, yeah it yeah. is distracting. And if you're a writer and you're trying to make sort of like more uh, substantial things, you need to stand back and give stuff time to to settle. You know. Yeah, you need to give give all this stuff some time, and it has to. Your thoughts have to come together. Well, that I doesn't talk work, that doesn't work in in, in Instagram. <laughs> I talk a lot about about you know blue skying and staring out the window time and how important it is, you know. And and when you're always checking your phone, you're, yeah, anyway. Anyway, I want to thank you, dude, for coming on, man. I like I said, I love your books and I love what you do. And uh, you were a, you were always on a short list of names that we wanted to bring on the show because I like I like what you do and I think that you have a gr- uh, a unique voice in doing it. Oh, great! Thank you very much. So we're gonna we're gonna stop and take a break, and uh, we'll be back in just a second. Okay, so you're back. I am back. I'm sorry that I missed the. I, it, it, I hate missing a show, but in particular, I hate missing a good guest. Yeah, and yeah. And, and we always have good ones, and that's awesome. I'm yeah, just, I'm, we're super lucky in that. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and even if people don't, there's a name recognition by the end. There's another person in that they know, and another person. Uh, whose job they have a little better... Yeah, concept. hopefully they're, like, you know, paying attention and, like, oh, I'm going to go check this person out. And yeah. Yeah, sooner or later we're going to get down to stuff like uh, so-and-so is a best boy that worked on... <laughs> <laughs> he did craft services that worked on this. Because it's... Hey, I could bring that to the table right now. <laughs> <laughs> but it's, like, film productions and, and the movies that we watch are such a group effort by a lot of people, and a lot of them aren't, aren't sung. Right. Um, don't have their songs sung, and I think that's that's great that we can do that. There are, uh, there, you know, there are unsung heroes, and then there are undersung heroes. <laughs> and I think we're at the undersung heroes <laughs> right now. So moving to second hour stuff, we're going to start with people who died, and um, there's a lot of them this week. Um, Arnold Copelson, producer of Platoon, The Fugitive, and Seven. He won an Oscar in 1987. Yeah. Um, yeah. That's a solid resume. That's a solid resume. <laughs> uh, a guy named... A person, I don't know if it's a guy or a, or a woman, Gibba, an animator of erotic cartoons. They did the cartoon sequence in Paolo Cavara's 1976 
film Itanta Para, a.k.a. Plot of Fear. It was directed by Kavara, who did Mondokani, and he did Black Belly of the Tarantula, which I'm going to talk about in a second. Oh, okay. um, very cool. Right, yeah, yeah, yeah. A lot of his cartoons are like those sort of early animated, you know, you, you usually find him in compilation discs of like short films that are erotic in nature sure. and that kind yeah. of thing. Important. Uh, John, I have to say this carefully, John Wicks, not John Wick. <laughs> John Wicks was a singer-songwriter in a band from the 80s called The Records. They had a hits with songs called uh, Tina Rama and All Messed Up and Ready to Go and star- big hit was a song called Starry Eyes. Um, gotcha. Power pop band. They came out at a time when Every band was called the something. Sure. The pop, the beat, the knack, the 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 yeah, the the. the. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, Jima Hiroshi, sumo yokozuna, and uh, pro wrestler. Yeah. As our dead wrestler There's for the week. Dead wrestler for the week. We had it. We had a reprieve there. Yeah. For, uh, <laughs> we did that one for a little bit. Uh, George Taliaferro, first black player drafted by the NFL. Wow. Yeah. Jerry Thorpe, he was a producer and director on the Kung Fu series. You know, that series is so it's so hard for me, right? Because because now I know the story mm-hmm. and so it, I and so there's the negative aspect of it, right? Mm-hmm. It was supposed to be Bruce Lee. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um and at the same time I was there. I was there. And not only that, but you know, David Carradine, I think, is a fine actor, uh-huh. but I, I don't think he's ever done a better job than playing Kane. Yeah, yeah. You know, I just remember as a kid dreaming of the day when I could pick up the heated right, <laughs> right? with yeah, my arms exactly. and carry it. Okay, just the fact that that show introduced <laughs> us to all of that. Yeah. Uh, it gets a pass. Oh, dude! You know. I still have moments in class where I get the images of Key Luke, this blind guy, yeah. you know, s- snatching oh. pebbles from his hand. Dude, yeah, there, there's so much good stuff there. You know, the only stuff that wasn't good there was the martial arts. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but later, remember, like later, Brandon Lee got it was in a, a bit of it. And well, they, uh, yeah, didn't they do? Like, there was like a. Like Son of like Cain, or yeah, they re went back yeah, to it yeah, or yeah. something. I don't Ridiculous. know. Ridiculous. Uh, Peggy McKay, she was an actor who worked on Days of Our Lives forever. You know how those soap opera actors are? They just get in that grind. They do it for like forty years. Right. Yeah. Um, well, you know, it's a paycheck, steady paycheck, and a beloved fan base. Yeah, and if you're Rick Springfield, I know. you you diversify. Yeah, they're gonna be started <laughs> on Rick Springfield. Hey, dude, that album was cool, man. There's a lot of it. There's a lot of like even working class dog that are that is great. Yeah. Uh, my favorite on that on working class dog is a song called Red Hot and Blue Love. Robin Ford, who used to play with Miles Davis. Oh yeah, on it. yeah, yeah, yeah. Blues player, fucking yeah. amazing. Uh, Jack D. Fox, managing editor, Hollywood Reporter. Mm-hmm. Celeste Yarnell, she was an actress who was in like she was in an Elvis film and she was like an extra in Star Trek and blah blah blah. Sure. Um, I'm buzzing through him now. James M. Swiller, he was a sound mixer on things like The Avengers and Concussion. Mm-hmm. Carol Hall, th- this is really recent stuff now. Carol Hall, um, composer lyricist, she did the Best Little Whorehouse in Texas. Oh, wow. And Anna Purna Devi, Indian classical musician, she played bass sitar. 
She was married to Ravi Shankar. Oh, wait, just the fact that there is something a base sitar, a base sitar. Yeah, yeah. I don't know if she was the mother of Nora Anushka. Jones? Uh, no, Anushka Shankar. Oh, okay, okay. Um, no, the Nora Jones lady lived in the America. I okay, say. okay. But this was he also had a family back. But right. uh, the Anushka Shankar is amazing. Mm-hmm. Um, she's got a bunch of records out, and they're they're phenomenal. She's trying to bridge the gap between like Indian traditional cl- traditional Indian. music and like Indian almost bhangra or um, like dance club music. Sure. Yeah, it's great. It's great stuff. Um, and then finally, I just wanted to make note that. Uh, Five years ago, in, uh, on the seventh, we lost Philip Nutman, who was a a writer and a good friend, and he was on a podcast I used to do called The Night Crew. Right. Uh, he he uh, he's the author he wrote of the book for I, I was going to say he wrote for Fangoria. He did a if you can find his tree, he did a treatise on Amicus that was that's pretty well respected. He has a book had a book out called one of the early zombie books called Wet Work about a, a an assassin that was a zombie. What a great title! Yeah, yeah. You, uh, uh, and, and you know, I thought I was being original and clever when I started saying "stay scary" after things. Mm-hmm. And then I find out later, this guy signed everything "stay scary." Mm-hmm. I have fond memories of Phil sitting in a hotel room at Crypticon, hammered. Both of us hammered, just talking about you know just horror and genre and, and sure. trying to come up with something new and different and then trying to get it noticed and um yeah so we miss phil yeah, yeah yeah moving on to some new stuff uh todd mcfarland says spawn will be quote seriously scary i i appreciate that and i'm and i'm looking forward to it i am not one of the haters of the of the spawn movie i'm like, not either a lot of people do hate on it mm-hmm. and i get it i think there are uh, some really really cool things in there. Mm-hmm. I love the idea of Spawn. First of all, yeah, that, that that you know that he's been to hell and now he's back, and 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 the fact that that doesn't change you as a human being. You still miss your wife. You still, you know what I mean? It's yeah. horribly tragic. Um, I've been hearing about the Spawn redo uh-huh. for a while now. Bloomhouse is doing and it. They're bankrolling it. And here's the thing. It's like I kinda I don't want to hear anymore. Mm-hmm. I don't want you I don't want to hear Todd McFarland tell me that it's gonna be scary. Yeah. Just shut up. Because what make else it, is he gonna say? Yeah. Shut up and make it make it scary yeah. and then I can go, whoa, I'm not gonna See I disagree with these these people that'll talk about like well you have to hype at, as you go along. No, no. And I'm, I'm much more impressed like the, with the people that just like drop this thing. Exactly. Like, hey, here's this thing I did, and it's it's the shit. And it speaks for itself. Absolutely. I didn't have to like yeah you know raise a bunch of because otherwise you you end up being people like you know like Kevin Smith who's always announcing that he's working on something and then you never hear about it right. again. So uh the bond they, there was an interview with one of the Broccolis who was a bond producer right and state they stated categorically that James Bond is male because there was all this talk about a female bond which it depends on where your head is at if James Bond is James Bond and this is just a bunch of people that are playing the same James Bond that's one thing that makes sense if you go with the idea that James Bond is a moniker that it the name goes with the 007 right. because i mean to be honest I mean, if you think about it, 
if James Bond is the same person, mm -hmm. right? Well, then that means that you're constantly taking out the eraser <laughs> and wiping the board. Yeah. And it's like, okay. Why can't it be just that? It, and that's the thing. is, is And then if you're going to say, okay, Stadium 007 is a, um, uh, uh, a man, and these are his attributes, <laughs> good and bad. He's mm -hmm. cool and all this other stuff, but he's also, in the early films, kind of a rapist. Here, well, here, but... but there's also 006 and 005 and 004. Right, there's all these other... Yeah, yeah exactly. And, and not only that, but... If you're taking the view that this is all the same guy, mm -hmm. right? I would be far more interested and far more involved if we see... Uh, if we see, you know, the range and, and, and at some point he dies. Yeah. One of the things that makes Conan great is that... He starts as a kid, yeah, and he ends up as this old man. There's a trajectory. Yeah, I wonder about that. Imagine if you passed. I'm just thinking on the fly here, but imagine passing through a filter, James Bond, and something like the Michael Caine film Harry Brown. Sure. Where he's now retired. Yeah. And he's living in, and he's still fucking James Bond. Yeah. But he's he's an old man living in the project someplace or yeah. whatever. Whatever the MI, the, uh, the the British uh, agency gives him as a re in retirement, right? But he's you still know an old not man. Be great. Old man James Bond is going to be badass. Yeah, I'm kind of into that idea, dude. He doesn't have to worry about like you know fucking people taking over the world and shit. Yeah, he worries he's about the the fucking drug dealer on his yeah corner, yeah yeah. He's know? still like, yeah yeah he's still on the job yeah, and he's just. Slaying women, <laughs> older <laughs> women in the neighborhood. All right, <laughs> we could go on with that. Uh, Michael Pena from Ant Man has been cast as Mr. Rourke in the Fantasy Island reboot. Sure, I, uh, sure. I, you know, this whole Fantasy Island project. I'm kind of like, was it ever that great? No, to begin but with. But I hear, like, go fig. This thing that they're working on now. It, it's it has a darker tone. It's going to be more. Some the article I read had said it's going to be more like EC horror. What? Yeah, <laughs> where, where, where they, people come to the island and like maybe it's kind of a, maybe a monkey's paw thing, or, or maybe it's some sort of like so you get your 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 deepest desire. But okay, so I'm on board if if the new Fantasy Island is a horror film yeah. or a horror series. Yeah, I'm kind of like, well, if you do that, because it's much better than what it was before, which is what I am, was just the is was just the love boat on dry right, land. Exactly. <laughs> I'm far more excited about the uh, Herve Valachez yeah. uh, biopic. Yeah, I just wish that they would have gone even deeper, like super. deep. I don't know how deep they're going into his life. <clears throat> Between that and the Errol Flynn documentary, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I'm kind of beside myself. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, TNT has ordered um, to series Ridley Scott's Raised by Wolves. It's a series about a human child raised by robots. Right. In this post-apoc kind of thing. Uh, I think it's a really cool idea. It is a cool idea. It's, uh, it, we often get the opposite, like Chappie, where, <laughs> which was, you know, yeah. uh, 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 short circuit. Short circuit. Yeah. Uh, I just where, kept thinking Johnny Five. You know, we have this like blank slate of a being mm -hmm. being raised by people. Um, I think this is a cool idea. Yeah, and I love the and I love the title because it's perfect. Yeah. it's like yeah, it's, yeah, it's uh, really cool. Yeah. Um, I talked a couple of weeks ago about the Shutter doing the Creepshow series that uh, Greg Nicotero is 
yeah. going to be spearing up. Mm-hmm. Turns out that they'll it'll feature stories by Stephen King, Joe Hill, and Joe Arlanza. Yeah. Um, I because we're, I'm kind of doing this really loose Halloween horror movie thing sure. this month. Um, go to my Facebook page and you'll see all that shit. But uh, um, I just ran. I was looking for classic horror films, and I was I went to Netflix, couldn't find any. Went to Hulu, couldn't find any. Went to right. Amazon, couldn't find any. So out of desperation, I signed on to Shutter. And Shutter are they all there? No, yeah. <laughs> not at all. <laughs> but there's enough there. I mean, like they have a Giallo list. They have a. I found in a glass cage there is right. streaming there, and, yeah, yeah, and yeah. Uh, my wife and I we're going to get to some of the things that we watch later. I'm but excited Shuttered about some of their original programming for four bucks too. A no, four bucks a month. I'm I'm kind of okay yeah. with that. Uh, George Romero's wife says that he left behind quote dozens of scripts. No wait, this is not. His wife of it's not Christine Forrest. It's not Christine. No, okay, this is okay. the present, the one, the oh, woman okay. that he was married to. Whoever she, okay. Yeah, supposedly he left a, behind dozens of scripts that I'm sure will get uh, made because they they're written by George Romero. Right. On the other hand, are they any good? The scripts that he was doing at late as of late were weren't what they probably could have been. Right. Uh, Gina Gershon is cast in Riverdale as Jughead's mom. So is she Mrs. Jughead? <laughs> Gina well, Kershaw, go ahead. Have you have you have you watched any of that? No. Okay, so it's it's so far removed from <laughs> Archie. Yeah. It, like it's not even it, you know, it's 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 almost like okay, we take these names uh-huh. and then we apply it to our own thing. Yeah. It yeah, is yeah. a weird. I, 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 it's not my thing. Like right. I can't I can't get into it. But I could easily see how this would get a rabid fan base. Sure, it's, and it has. It's way less CW than a lot of this crap, uh-huh. um, and that's good. Um, way more Twin Peaks. Oh, good. Uh, it, okay. It, it, if you're if you're if you're on those um, on that scale, it's way more that. Okay. And so that's good. I think that's a good thing. I, see, I love Gina Gershon, like Bound and, oh, dude. and so much yeah. stuff. Uh, Every time I see her now, I just want to hug, give her a hug. It's like I'm so sorry for for that the whole like fried chicken scene and Killer Joe. Right, 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 right. <laughs> that right. one. Yeah. Okay. Well, it's you know. It's so powerful. It's an intense. It is so <laughs> powerful. Yeah. Um, Cat Williams was arrested arrested for assault again. So, who is this guy? When he wants to fight everybody. I don't know, but he's like. You're like three uh, foot six. I, I was just gonna say, it's like you, and you have funny hair. And yeah, it's like you. Well, there's that guy. There's that famous footage on the internet of him. He's somewhere, and he pops up to some guy, and the guy drags him to the ground and just like jujitsu's him. Just yeah. like size, just tangles yeah, just, him just up, just puts him in a pretzel. Hilarious. Uh, Lady Gaga and Rosie O'Donnell are are gonna do Funny Girl together. Weird. Mm-hmm. I can see it. Remember, Rosie O'Donnell, she was, she was, um, the, she was in Greece on Broadway. Sure. I, I, I I think Rosie O'Donnell is one of those people that is overshadowed by her life. Mm -hmm. Like Ellen. Uh, Exactly. As Mm -hmm. opposed to their acting career. Agreed. Um, yeah. Absolutely agree. Uh, James Gunn is in talks to write and maybe direct Suicide Squad 2. They say it's a completely different thing. Wouldn't, wouldn't it be awesome yeah. if, like, James Gunn is like, okay, fuck you, Marvel. 
I'm going to go make DC the fucking powerhouse that it should have been. Right. Well, yeah. I think that, that number one, if he could just do even what he did with Guardians of the Galaxy 2, yeah. with, with an already what many considered to be a doomed property. Right, right. If he could revive that, oh, what a fuck you tomorrow. Yeah, exactly. What a yeah. fuck you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, it, and that property, essentially, you could use it as... DC's initial Iron Man as the beach, you know, the beachfront that yes, exactly. lands you on. And now, uh, yeah, now here comes everything. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, World War Z Part Two starts filming in 2019 um, with uh, David Fincher directing. Yeah, I, ooh, uh, I don't know. Brad Pitt gonna be part of it. I yeah, I hope my it's my hope that they don't. They abandoned their initial plan, and that that was the original ending of World War Z. Matthew Fox turns into this maniacal, like sort of Jim Jones character, right. and takes his wife and all this other shit, mm-hmm. and and it just sounded like horrible. I hope that that they figured out that the thing that made the thing that would have made World War Z perfect is if it was an anthology film, because that's what the book was, episodic, little tiny my, episodes of what happened that my show you the. My complaint with World War Z, the movie, comes down to a far more technical thing. <laughs> and that is this, this, uh, these shots of these swarming zombies yeah. that are like ants. Yeah, 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 yeah. One, don't show us that in the trailer. Right. Two, show us that once in uh-huh. the movie, at yeah. the end. Yeah, yeah, like, yeah. So we all go, whoa! Because yeah. by the time I saw the movie... That's the money shot, and I'm just like, uh-huh. all right. The fall of Jerusalem or whatever, where yeah, they yeah, are, yeah. is is impressive. But but yeah, at some point you're like, you gotta you gotta give me something more than than yeah. than this. Yeah. And there's so much great imagery in the in the book. Mm-hmm. And it, um, I always recommend don't don't read the book. Get the audio book. The audio book uh-huh. every chapter is told by a different actor. Right, and it's right, right. Fucking amazing. Yeah. Uh, speaking of Rosie O'Donnell, she got engaged to her girlfriend Elizabeth Rooney. Saw that. Yeah, it's kind of funny that they 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 couldn't just point out that they got engaged. They had to point out their their age difference, which I thought was just I, it was just weird. Yeah, just yeah. strange and odd. Um, Fox is planning. Remember the movie Rookie of the Year? Yeah, yeah, they're good. <laughs> they're gonna remake it. Well, in the sure. further co-opting of your of all of our childhoods. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, Jason Bateman's Ozark. They're giving it a, th- a third series because it's a big hit. Um, I haven't watched it, I but I'm really interested. I hear I really good to. things. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, True Detective season three um, premieres January 13th. This looks like yeah. what season two should have been. Yeah, 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 I'm excited about this. Yeah, I'm a little disappointed that I mean with the casting of Stephen Dorff, but who knows? Like lately, he's been killing it in these little tiny movies yeah, yeah, yeah. all over the place. Yeah. Um, I already wrote that down. Uh, this week in a photograph, they they p- premiered um, Ruby Rose's Batwoman costume, mm-hmm. and uh, it's cool. It's very much the what's in the comic. Um, it's also, as I said on Facebook, that uh, I, you could have put me in that costume, and everyone would have been like, "Fuck a Batwoman!" Yeah, <laughs> because it's it so hides everything. Well, I mean, ultimately. When it comes to these 
comic book movies. Um... <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's true a lot of the time. It's, like, it's, it's why, look at Spider-Man. As soon as they put that mask on, you know that's that's not right. Tobey Maguire yeah, yeah, doing yeah. that triple backflip. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's like, you know, so much of it is CGI now. Yeah. You know, it's like, yeah, Ryan Reynolds is the heart of Deadpool, but only because of his voice. Like, I know. Like, all that shit flipping, as we, as we learned talking to Webster... Yeah. That whole fucking sequence that we love so yeah, much. Yeah. That was all fucking that was all CG. CG. Speaking of that, I uh, read this thing about Ryan Reynolds and Deadpool where there's a scene in it where he's wearing a shirt and it has B. Arthur on the front of it. Uh-huh. And they wanted to use it, and but it's a licensed image, right? So they went to the family and blah, 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 blah. And the production ponied up ten grand in, in an agreement with the family. Like... Ryan, Ryan, they were going to put up ten grand, so they could use the image, and then they would instead of just giving it to the family, they would donate it to the B. Arthur Foundation. Or sure. Uh, at the last minute, Ryan Reynolds himself goes, "No, here," and he paid the ten grand. Awesome. To the foundation, well, just so we could have B. Arthur in his in him with the B. Arthur. Shirt. And so that shows. Um, uh, uh, Something that I I do love about the Deadpool, I, I you know I'm not a comic book guy, but right. I, I do love these movies, and part of it is because of stuff like that. Yeah. It's like, is it important that it's B. Arthur? No, not really, but it's important that that ten grand the, went to yeah. one, one that that ten grand went to something good. Two that it came from somebody who felt so strongly about it. Yeah, and three. B. Arthur is exactly what you expect. Yeah. To you, you know what I mean? It's Absolutely. like the weird little thing that like makes that character. It's those moments, those little tiny yeah. moments. Mm-hmm. Not, yeah, absolutely. Um, Hulu has ordered to series a scripted drama called Wu Tang: An American Saga. It's being made by the guy who did the. Did you see the Beatles Eight Days a Week yeah. documentary? Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, he's in charge of this, and everyone's involved. Ghostface Killer, Jizza, Rizza, the whole thing. Right. The only right. one that I guess that isn't is ODB because he's dead. But yeah. well, it's nice to see something coming out of this camp that where everybody is involved. Yeah. Because a complaint for a long time was that Rizza's Rizza's is the he's the Stevie Nicks <laughs> of Wu Tang and uh, uh, yeah. Uh, and I love that guy. I'd so love to be in a conversation with that guy about like about the Shaw brothers, Shaw brothers and oh, shit. Can oh we get Rizza and just do our I'm Shaw tempted, brothers? Show? I'm tempted to try to Fuck figure yeah, out a way. Do it, fucking a. Uh, Ryan Coogler is directing Black Panther two. Okay, and that's cool. All uh, right, you know, because I'm sure that at least we know now that that it's in where it's in semi safe hands. Mm-hmm. The studio doesn't fuck right. it up. Uh, this is very cool. So, the new Suspiria. An article came out this week that one of the actors, Lutz Ebersdorf, who is a uh, an aging man, he he looks to be in his eighties, eighty five. Sure. Uh, when they pr- premiered the film or whatever on, at Cannes, or they had a panel on it at Cannes, Tilda Swinton read a statement from this guy. Well, it came out this week that this guy doesn't exist, and it's Tilda Swinton in old age makeup. Yeah. And you can't tell. And the, the article, the thing that was really funny about it was she insisted on, they made her like a pair of underwear that had a 
gen- male genitalia. Had a bulge in it. Big giant genitalia, <laughs> and she kept like sitting on the balls and and um. Yeah, hilarious. Makes me love Tilda Swinton Absolutely. all the more. It makes me now go, all right, I'm in, I'm in, I guess. I'll, I'll at least see the new series. I love when people do do stuff like that. In, um, upcoming guest, um, Jason Webley, mm. was part of a a thing like that with uh, with Evelyn Evelyn. And it, where it was like, you know, it's, it's him yeah. and Amanda Palmer... But they never let on it was them. And, sure. You know, and we all knew it was. Yeah. But it'll be interesting to talk to him and see if he acknowledges that or if he still continues with, yeah, they were great. <laughs> well, I, I saw a band once called the Ex-Cops that yeah. opened for Guar, and they were Guar. <laughs> they all had police shirts on, and they were just playing. They had, like, mirrored glasses in them, and they were really good. Uh, Black Widow was finally the film Black Widow was happening with Scarlett Johansson. She was played $15 million, which is great. Okay. I, I mean, know. it's good. This should have happened a long fucking time ago. Right. But, okay. And she's getting a good chunk of change, so that's good. Uh, NBC is revisiting the world of Abraham Lincoln Vampire Hunter for a series. Okay, so <laughs> this is a weird property. Yeah, I adore the book. Okay, I love the book. The book is great. Um, it handles the subject matter as if it's real. It supports what it's saying with photographs. <laughs> um, and it never feels cheesy or, or weird. Mm-hmm. Now, when the movie came out, and I saw who was directing it, yeah, I'm like, oh, there, there, there's no way this is going to be as subtle as the book was. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, no. And it wasn't. And it wasn't. It was nuts. It was wacko. Um, ultimately, a disappointment to me, because I love the book so much. At the same time, I'm if I separate myself from the book, I'm mm. like... What a fun, cool, ridiculous, yeah. nutso romp, you know. It was great. Um, so it'll be interesting. It will. I, I think that it's it'll be easy to make the transition. I'm not. I, I won't watch it because it's you know it's just, I just want time for that kind of nonsense. Uh, it being a series, but um, sure, why not give it a shot? I mean, you're giving yeah. anything else a shot. Why right. not? Why not? At least this is an original property. Right. Right. Uh, Chow Yun Fat is reportedly giving away his millions as he Saw gets that. older. He's living modestly. He's kind of just chilling with his wife and living in the house. Yeah, going to give his money away. Uh, fantastic. Yeah. Mad, mad respect. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. 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 Absolutely. Uh, CBS is planning a Secret Six series based on the DC comic. I know you're excited. Don't know what that means. Yeah. Um, this is kind of fun. I can't. I can't take this seriously. But my lawyer, Michael Avenatti, issued a challenge this week to Donald Trump Jr. <laughs> for an MMA match because I guess Don Jr. Is, trains something. Uh-huh. And, uh huh. And when I Avenatti's like, yeah, <laughs> yeah, we'll do this. I know. I don't know if Avenatti trains, but. I'd pay, I'd pay for that. Oh, sure. I would totally pay Absolutely. for that. Absolutely. Uh, Warner Brothers is developing a Warner Brothers streaming app. Like everybody else. Jesus Christ. Not going to not gonna work. No. At some it's point. It's getting to be too much. It's too much money. Yeah. Um, I think the next money is the person who figures out a way to be the aggregate site for all of those. 
Like you pay me one price, right, right, I right. pay those schmucks, and then you get everything. I'm waiting for the MCI <laughs> to take down the giant of Netflix. Yeah. Y- you know, And I'm sure some of these guys think they're that guy. Yeah, I know. There's so many. And I tell you what, being on Shudder makes me appreciate the work and, and the ease of interface that Netflix has. Yeah. Excuse me. Um, it's just clumsy. Their Shudder's interface is really, really mm-hmm. clumsy. Um... Bill Cosby is in, is serving time in prison. Yes, he is. Story came out this week that he was in the mess hall and he told a joke to someone and someone didn't like it and they it's a tough room because they slapped him across the face with a chicken patty. So <laughs> my thought as soon as I read that was if I had when I was working in prison, uh, if somebody had slapped somebody with a chicken patty, that would have been the fucking greatest thing ever. <laughs> Because well, instead, what happens is you get stabbed, you get <laughs> yeah. raped, you get yeah, all yeah, these yeah, horrible yeah, yeah. things. Well, it's supposedly there's a big kerfuffle about how the guy that's in charge of the block that Cosby's in right. is a is a uh, Cosby fan. And so they're, they're worried about preferential treatment. And, like, if you're in prison, you're in prison. That's easy. You, you, move, you, you move that guy to a different... Yeah. Right. You know. Um, on the other hand, it just kills me. It's like it's Cosby in prison getting slapped with lunch meat. <laughs> it's like I just don't know what to say about it. It's just it's, it's more another evidence of the. It's a different. It's a different world we the live in. Glitch in the matrix we all live in. And yeah, where you know, and, and I, uh, and that's one of the things. And you and I talk about this a lot. Is where we have to reconcile our love. Or material mm. or an artist at a particular time, yeah, and and then deal with their transgressions, right? Exactly. And for myself, I've easily been able to, to go. I love this guy's jokes. I love this guy's mm-hmm. movies. I love this person's. Bill music. Cosby himself is a, is a hilarious this, this, this stuff. Yeah. A hilarious special. On the yeah. other hand, fuck that guy. Yeah. Uh, director Pete Reed says he may be, they may turn Ant-Man into a trilogy because I guess that's warranted, <laughs> right? It well, seems well, to be I mean, that they like, were using... Wait, it's weird. Like, we're talking about turning Ant-Man into a trilogy. Isn't he part of the Marvel Universe? Yeah. Does he just not make, keep making Ant-Man things? Well, that's exactly right. You know, you know, he, it, it's, that's one of the things that they're talking about and, and is going to come up in something a little bit later. Ant-Man... Is one of the few Marvel movies that I like. It seems to be that it's being used a lot as connective t- tissue. Mm-hmm. It's the connective tissue that I think that's going to bind um, Infinity War one and whatever it's being right there. Right, right. um, but I don't know that. I mean, sure, I, I guess. I, but again, it's another drop in the bucket that brings us that much closer to a point where the market says, "I don't care." Now, I've been chastised this week about people saying, like, well, I love this stuff, so le- you know, let me have it. And it's like, okay, great. But I'm also not going to listen when you come back to me and, and and you finally have had enough. Right. So, anyway. Uh, Paramount's network, the streaming thing that has the Star Trek, whatever, they're right. doing a documentary on Richard Pryor. Yeah, that looks cool. That looks very cool. Yeah. Uh, today, Netflix canceled Iron Fist. Um, But they also said that this is what I was going to bring up. They've also said, what they've said is we've canceled the series, but 
that character and that actor will continue to appear. It'll pop up in other things. Yeah, in other yeah. things. Could mean that they're going to do a Heroes for Hire thing with Luke Cage, um, which I think they should, because when they were together, it was the only time that, that either I of those series worked, yeah, really yeah, yeah, it worked really well. Rummelstein. Um, John Carpenter, in an interview this week, talked shit about The Rock's uh, proposed Big Trouble in Little China. Well, good. He was saying that the studio and the production, they don't respect him, Carpenter, and they don't respect the film, and they're really just, it's just another franchise it's, it's, to be It's milked. them literally going, 80s title, oh, this Ooh. one. Yeah, People it, like this. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I... There are, believe it or not, there are some titles that garner real respect. Yeah. And, and I just don't understand why, in an effort to try to make more money or whatever, right. like, you have to, like, I don't, the argument is always like, well, th this is this generation's Lawrence of Arabia. It's like, well, yeah, but that one, the, uh, my generation is perfectly fine. Here's the thing, is that <laughs> rather than trying to introduce a new audience to something by remaking it, yeah, how about you do a major... Publicity campaign promoting the original. Well, remember they did that when they they re-released Lawrence of Arabia to um, to movie theaters. They were like they were releasing it in seventy millimeter. Yeah. It was all cleaned up and and sure, absolutely. With this new Fathom events kind of stuff happening, you can do that. Yeah, yeah. I would love. To, I mean, and when it filters down, Dude, would you? How cool would it be? As many times as you've seen Big Trouble in Little China. Mm -hmm. I'd be willing that you and I both would plunk down the money to go to the theater yeah. and watch it one night Absolutely. on a big-ass screen, newly remastered and shit. Holy fuck. And it also uh, opens up, in my opinion, opportunities for the theater owner to make it an event. Yeah. To where you have a cosplay contest. There might be all kinds of things, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Anyway. And then finally, I want to talk a little bit about the... It dropped yesterday, The Haunting of Hill House. Um, on Netflix, right? Ten one-hour episodes, right? I, you know how I feel about all this shit. I, well, we're jumping in tonight, my wife and I. I've not read a single review that didn't say that it's amazing. Amazing, yeah. Um, so, so but, I'm in. But, but, but. So, with that in mind, when you go in, do me a favor. Mm. Go in thinking that all the reviews have been shit. <laughs> yeah. I, I, low expectations. I, I expect it to be flawed, but um, I'm still... I, I'm still good. It'll be... I'm going to be... I'm excited about yeah, this. Yeah, yeah. And, I, and I'm just hoping that... Um, that, it, that Here's maybe one series that I can go, here is, is how this right, is, right, right. should all be handled. Right. Moving on to trailers. There's a lot in this week because there was a lot of really good ones, and I yeah. didn't want to just throw them aside. To, and, and to be fair, there are a lot of trailers every week, and then yeah. the task becomes right trying to cut it down. These were just week. so. Some of these were so good. It's like I didn't want to. I kept. I usually make little stars about. Okay, this one's like definitely, this one definitely, we'll definitely, definitely. Week, and then, and yeah, 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 yeah. And I still kicked. I still next week's I, is up to like eighteen already. So. <laughs> First up, uh, the advocates, a documentary on homeless advocacy. Yeah, um, looks really good. Looks really good. Uh, addresses uh, a problem that has been an elephant in the room for a long time. Mm -hmm. um, 
I've dealt with this in in my professional life. Um, it's it's cool to see people to see something talking about um, people who are actually trying to make a difference. Mm-hmm. That's great. Yeah, it looks Absolutely. phenomenal. Yeah, and timely as fuck. Yeah. Uh, up next, The Boys, Amazon uh, project based on the comic. It's about a squad who polices superheroes. Right. I fell in love... Okay, so I'm not a comic book guy, but there are occasional titles that I really, really love. Mm-hmm. The Boys is one of those. Yeah. Um, I fell in love with The Boys uh, because of that. It's basically... It's a world where we have superheroes... And they have kind of, as I think what happened in real life, become kind of uh, indifferent to lesser human beings. Mm-hmm. Um, in the in the beginning issue, so one of the things about the the comic series that's great is that the main character is Simon Pegg. Yeah, yeah. and in fact, <laughs> they cast Simon Pegg in and, this. Right, and that's going to be amazing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But there, the way it starts for him is he's just a regular guy, and he's he's literally doing the thing in the the field of flowers with his girlfriend, spinning uh. around in circles, and then all of a sudden something flies by, and he's holding two bloody stumps. His <laughs> girlfriend's gone. A Flash type character ran past. Yeah, and just clipped her. <laughs> and just clipped her. Oh man. And and then and and because you know uh, of that, he's contacted by this organization, who. Don't give a fuck. Yeah, and they they do they police the superheroes. It's like oh, it kind of reminds me you of done it. fucked up. There yeah. used to be a book called Damage Inc. It was about the people that cleaned up after after superhero, superhero battles. They, yes, yeah, yeah, shenanigans. Yeah, yeah. It it, this looks, looks very cool. Uh, the the trailer is largely um, one of those. Um, it's something that's happened in trailers in the last several years. Where it's like it's a commercial for yeah, like a corporate ad. Yes, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then, and the only indication that we have that is something different is at the very end. These group of people are sitting around watching the TV, watching that ad, mm-hmm. and then they all flip. They off all flip the TV. off the camera. Yeah, yeah. I'm in. Yeah, I'm it, that, this looks cool. Next up is a documentary that I'll tell you right now. I'm, I'm, I'm in on. It's called Kaniba. It's about a guy who's a cannibal or yes. has who has a sexualized I can't tell aspiration. To I can't anything. tell if he wants to eat people or if he wants, wants to, to be, be eaten. eaten. It's yeah. hard to tell from the yeah. Every time I think I I know, then something else is said. It seems like the guy is being straight. Like he's not. Oh yeah, he's like he's dead serious about what he's talking yeah. about. Um, and it comes comes like remember in Japan there was just that chef dude that at a, it was ten thousand dollars a table a seat at the table to eat he he, he was castrated yes and then they ser- he he cooked up his own genitalia and served it to these people yeah who were that free of, of their own free will oh yeah they yeah. were there yeah um. so uh, this is and it speaks to fetishism it speaks yeah. to it's Super dark. It's super dark and endlessly fascinating. Yeah, I yeah. think it's just like, like any time that you get, like I, I understand. You know, there are some people that are going to go like, dude, I get touching that with a fucking ten foot pole. But, but for me, <laughs> I'm like, are you not interested in yeah. how somebody gets? Like, you know what I mean? I agree. Like, this is one of those things, like the Bob Flanagan, yeah, uh, documentary that is not. A good time to watch. Oh no, but no! It, you can't take your eyes away. This looks 
insane and fantastic. Yeah, very much. I so. mean, keep in mind, Japan is where we have a guy who was convicted mm-hmm. of killing and eating somebody. Never did a day of time. Yeah, and is now kind of a celebrity. Celebrity. In a weird way. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, um, in a, on a related note. <laughs> <laughs> Netflix is doing a, a... They released a trailer for their a Christmas project they did called Christmas Chronicles. Essentially, it's Kurt Russell as Santa Claus. Kurt Russell as Santa Claus. Um, the vibe that I get from this mm-hmm. is the same vibe as Kurt Russell as a superhero in Sky High. Yeah. Uh, in other words, fun, uh-huh. goofy. Um, I don't know what the story is. Like, I like it's... It, it, basically, they get me at... Kurt Russell with Santa Claus. Yeah, in a yeah. big beard. Yeah. And he looks awesome. And yeah. I, I know not I'm going to hate this movie. <laughs> well, because it's, it's, it's silly. It's straight really up good. family yeah, affair. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This, this, is, this is like, you know, one of those things that you think, all right, this is going to go on the but shelf this, next to Elf. And this shows exactly why Kurt Russell is a great actor. And people, you know, I, I don't know if people consider Kurt Russell a great actor. But he is, because yeah. he can be Snake Plissken. Yeah. He can be yeah. R.J. McCready. Well, he can be this fucking the Santa Claus. The unspoken thing there is that the, this Santa Claus, he, it kind of brings all of that with him. Where you know he's not the roly-poly old man. He's no. Kurt fucking Russell, yeah. man. He's so, up at yeah. one point, like, with some band on stage. Yeah, like. yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I, someone made a joke with the beard and everything mm-hmm. about... Um, it, that Christmas Chronicles was really like kind of a McGreedy. <laughs> it's the thing three or something. See, and I what I saw was 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 <laughs> what I saw. This is Bone Tomahawk. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but you know, I'm sure it's going to be on Netflix. I'm sure going to at least going to go. You're, you're, let's you're, check it yeah, out. I'm just going to watch it. Yeah. Um, it's Christmas. Absolutely. Uh. Next up, Amazon black and white Polish love story called Cold War. This looks amazing. Looks amazing. Um, it's essentially a love story mm-hmm. taking place during the Cold War. Um, what I find, what I love in watching this trailer is they did such a good job in replicating that. Uh, the thing that I would equate it to most is is the French first wave. Mm-hmm. Like like, I, I, it. it I had a hard time believing that I wasn't watching something that wasn't filmed in the early 60s. Agree. Uh, it, like, it looks amazing. Yeah, and it's compelling. Yeah. Like, the story itself is super compelling. Yeah. I'm in. This is fantastic. Uh, again, and it's a Polish film. Right. And you know what? I used to work with a guy, shout out to George Jasinski, who kind of opened my eyes to Polish, Polish cinema, cinema, and he's like, just check it out. It's different, like Russian cinema, mm-hmm. kind of bleak, but... There's some great stuff in there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, next up, uh, Netflix documentary with Frank Grillo called Fight World. It's a, a documentary. It looks like every episode is on a different series. fighter. Yeah. yeah. Um, we had talked about this, and we were talking about you know this is this has kind of been done before. Mm-hmm. Um, I want to say what was it the the perfect weapon, the human something weapon, like that. human something, weapon, something like that. And and that was cool. They I done enjoyed, it a couple times. I, I I enjoyed that series, but. It wasn't 
it was it, it was definitely a, a cable television series that's mm-hmm. going for ratings. It didn't it didn't feel like it had the gravitas that it might need. Yeah. Um, this feels mm-hmm. like it's fucking serious. Well, the the, the 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 premise, the beginning of it, he talks about not about it's not about fighting. It's about like what does it take to be a fighter? Right. And it reminds me of um, I'll lean back. Uh, Sam Shepard's book, The Fighter's Mind right. and the uh, Fighter's yeah, Heart. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Shout out to Sam Shepard. Um, um, yeah, this looks great, and along with that kind of serious take on it, the um, the production value in this, mm-hmm. like, this is beautiful filmmaking. Yeah, it looks and, great. In addition to examining these different fight cultures and mm-hmm. why people fight, and if nothing else, if it brings a better understanding to some of this stuff, right? I mean, I'm sure they're going to knock. There's I don't know how many episodes there are, but I'm sure they'll knock off some of the biggies, and then hopefully they'll. You well, know. we know, we know, we know they go to Thailand. We know they go to Africa. We know, you know, there's yeah. a few things that we see in, in the, um, you know, and and but rather than talking about like the specifics of like why Thai boxing does this and why this does that, they're talking about you and your family why is this important right. to you is it because you have to eat tomorrow yeah. is it beca- you know and, and the commonality in fighting yes. you yes. know it's it's made different cultures and everything else but the heart of the fighter is always the same same yeah uh, next up Amazon's thing based on the Game and Pratchett novel Good Omens with David Tennant and Michael Sheen this looks good yeah I think if you if you're in the bag for either Michael Sheen or David Tennant this make becomes much easier. Or Neil Gaiman and Terry Pratchett. Yeah, yeah. Um, it I, looks I, fine. So many people I know are huge fans of this book. Yeah. And they are also the type of people that are fans of, of these actors. Sure. And I, I think there's I think there's no way that this doesn't do well. It's, it, it looks fantastic. Agreed. And I've always been fascinated with that marriage of that that it's a concept that pops up in 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 a lot of different properties throughout the years and that is of uh, this we have uh, essentially we have an angel and we have a demon mm-hmm. and it turns mm-hmm. out hey they're just regular guys they're pals yeah they're pals. it's like a uh, kinderman and the priest in exorcist 3 exactly uh, preacher is a good example yeah. preacher begins with uh, a, a, a demon and an angel who I'll tell you I don't know if love is the right word but they're definitely in lust with each other yeah and yeah. Well, it, this also the mood of this trailer reminded me of the Peter Cook Dudley Moore bedeviled. Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Um, next up, film on being black and working class in the U.S. called Life and Nothing More. This looks heartbreaking. This looks heartbreaking. It is. When I first started watching it, I thought, "Is this a documentary?" Mm-hmm. It is you, not a documentary. Yeah. I thought it, it was too. Yeah. It. It. It's shot like a documentary. It feels like a documentary. In one world, in one word, I would call this real. Yeah. It is very, very real. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, yeah. Uh, and it's I, more of the stuff that Netflix is doing like this. Right. You know, there was, um, I'm trying to remember the thing that we just talked about. That's a Netflix series, and it's just premiered. Anyway, same sort of thing. Yeah, fantastic. Uh, a black, lower, middle class family and the struggles that they're going through in today's world. Mm-hmm. Looks fantastic. Uh, next up, Little Drummer Girl. This is the AMC three-night event. It's directed by Park Chan-wook, who did Thirst and right. all sorts of other yeah. stuff. Um, it's the John LeClaire thing, right? It is. Um, it, I, I, is it Nikita? It, that, it seems see, like I Nikita. I feel like it's kind of like Nikita. Yeah. Um, 
and at the same time, I'm not 100% sure what's going on. It looks good. It All the look acting good. is looks solid. Yeah, and, the, you the know. acting looks solid. I mean, if you're if you're if 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 uh, kind of uh, intrigue and assassins and that type of stuff is your thing, I think this is going to be right up your alley. Right. I don't think we've had anything as good as La Femme Nikita, the the film. Yeah. Ever. 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 Yeah. Absolutely. Uh, next up, another. I think this is totally. A, it's uh, it's definitely a, a child's film. Um, Mail order monster. Japanese girl orders a monster from the comic book, and it arrives. And this robot kind of Japanese? thing. I thought she was Japanese. Japanese or Korean? I don't know. I'm uh, sorry, <laughs> sorry guys. <laughs> I thought it was. Yeah, I don't know what. Anyway. Okay, so yeah. I love this. I love yeah. this. This is exactly the kind of thing that I wished happened to me when I was a kid. <laughs> How many times I'd fill out things on the back yeah. of famous and you thought, Yeah, and you I, thought you'd get like, yeah. yeah. And uh, don't don't get me wrong, it's, you're not going to be wowed by the monster makeup or no. any of that. It's, this it's, could easily be on the Disney Channel or... Right. Yeah, you know, our past guest, William Butler, could yeah. be one of the candy bar yeah, I, things. Yeah, exactly. The, the monster's really goofy looking. But this isn't. I don't think this movie is about that. I think it's about the relationship between them and how this empowers this little girl. Feels a little Iron Giant. -y. Yeah. Uh, oh, you know, uh, yeah, definitely. A little yeah. short circuity. I'm little, all on board. For yeah. this. Up next, uh, animated film directed by Mamoru Hosoda, who did Summer Wars and The Girl Who Left Through Time. It's called Mirai. Looks very much like... Uh, looks like a Studio Ghibli film. Looks like a yeah. Studio Ghibli film. Yeah. And, and Summer Wars and The Girl Who Left Through Time do as well. Mm -hmm. The narrative, it's a little more... They did a little more Would you drugs. say this guy is the Don Bluth to uh, <laughs> Disney? I'd say that this guy is more like... I mean, he's not quite the... I don't know if he... He's not the Paprika guy or the Tekon Kree guy, which right. is, I think, he's more Sid and Martin Cross. Right, right, right. But this guy is somewhere in between there. Yeah. And um, it's, it looks great. A lot of, of awestruck-looking children yeah. in this cartoon. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. <laughs> but I can't I'm remember in. what... I just remember images. I don't remember what the plot... I don't remember... Somehow either. the girl is like, she's away from home. yeah. And and it's on. Some and I just I just remember just going like, it's beautiful. It's beautiful. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah and yeah. I'm in. I don't really yeah. care when I'm in the mood for a new, something new and animated, and this is available. Mm -hmm. That's that's it. Up next, Clint Eastwood is a drug mule called the Mule. It sound this felt to me like. Do you ever see Mary Full of Grace? Yeah. This sounds like that. Kind of. Yeah. It's like what if the guy from Gran Torino ended up having to move drugs to care for his sick wife. It's uh, it's interesting because Eastwood is clearly pay playing someone of his age, mm -hmm. which is this and he's 80? frail. Yeah, yeah, yeah you yeah. see him; he just looks yeah. horribly um, frail. But it's also it's also you know it's a Clint Eastwood film. He directed it. Yeah, and, and uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It looks great. Yeah. I, it looks. Um, you know, the only way I, I would dislike this is if at some point his character starts like whipping ass. You know, it doesn't I, look like that. I just saw a trailer for. I don't even. Never let me go. Um, anyway, it has the. It's about this woman who travels to the Middle East with her infant, and her infant is stolen in a market. And I swear to God, this housewife, within 10 seconds in the trailer, she's 
pulling guys out of through windows and cars she's, and she becomes yeah she becomes Cynthia Rothrock all of a sudden she becomes John Wick yes <laughs> and, um, next up documentary on uh, a woman who's an advocate for Iraqi rights uh, called On Her Shoulders uh, I just read she won a Nobel Peace Prize and she gave it away for half a million dollars gave yeah. it away to some Iraqi this is a this is a lady who was um, taken mm-hmm. as a slave mm-hmm. um raped, you know, countless times, um, who knows what all happened to her. Um, it's, it's, it's cool, it's interesting, because at some point during the, the documentary, she's like, I'm tired of people asking me about that. Yeah. Ask me about what can we do to help the people. Right. Because there was still, as she says, there's still you know, 3,000 so many people, you know, mm-hmm. women and children who are captives of right. these assholes. Exactly. Know? And, and uh, I, this looks fantastic. Absolutely yeah. fantastic. And yeah. again, t- super, super timely. Uh, up next, they released the trailer to the Stephen King Pet Cemetery remake. Yeah. Um, so I kind of feel the same way about this as I did the new It. I mm-hmm. think it looks it looks great. Looks It looks fine. It looks fantastic. I don't know if we needed it. But mm-hmm. I'm not going to I'm not going to poo-poo it just because of that. I like the addition of of the myth. It looks like they're more mythos with the kids the marching kids through, with, with wearing the masks yeah. and stuff. So, so maybe we get a little more of how how Pet Cemetery became what it yeah. is. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I I like it. I'm on board for it. I, I I feel like these these types of movies where we have a really good. Because I think the first Pet Cemetery is great. Mm-hmm. Uh, where we have a good movie, and then we have a good remake of it. Um, you know, I, I like package them together, and yeah, you know, let, like, let you choose. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Because I think, that, uh, I think this does look good. Yeah, I think the acting is rock solid, mm-hmm. and I like what they're they're kind of adding a kind of weird true detective um, mm-hmm. vibe to it. Of that, mm-hmm. I don't know. But well, it looks uh, great. It, it, I John mean, Lithgow. It looks like they're addressing. Um, they're addressing. The, I don't know, for lack of a better word, the, the myth part of it. Yeah. You know, uh, more than the first movie did. It's in the book. Mm-hmm. You know. Yeah, I think it's. I'm I'm interested, mm-hmm. but I was reluctant when it came out too, and then I finally saw it and I enjoyed it. So yeah, we'll probably get around to it. Um, I'm going to skip this one and go to this next one. Uh, Welcome to Mercy. It's a possession flick. This girl is taken to a essentially an evil convent. She has lapses in her memory where they, they convince her that she's hurt her child. Right. And it's hard to tell, you know, from the trailer. Yeah. Well, I mean, I guess it's not hard to tell. I mean, at, at one point in the trailer, it's hard to tell. Are you really possessed? Mm-hmm. Do you need to be cleansed? Or is the, are these just nut jobs? And I get the feeling that they're nut jobs, and, and that yeah. she's not. I think really it's. I left. I put this. I took this off the list, and I put it back on. The reason is, is that it kind of reminds me of, like, first of all, Mario Buono's Dark Water, right. and nunsploitation in general. Um, I think we're seeing a lot of this kind of stuff. We were talking about that. We're uh, we're getting this kind of resurgence of. It's not quite satanic panic. Mm-hmm. It's something else, but it's in the same. It's in the same neighborhood. Mm-hmm. We're seeing a lot of these movies that either have something to do with possession mm-hmm. or uh, evil 
ghosts, evil, evil ghosts, houses, evil houses, evil churches, evil, evil children, it, it, it's all of the above. all this kind of religious stuff bound together. Mm -hmm. We're starting to see a big resurgence of that. And the thing that bookends that is that, believe it or not, there is an entire new wing in genre, and it's called evangelical horror. It's it's a horror film that the the ghost in your home can only be expelled through the power of your faith. Right. Yeah. And that's happening a lot too. Yeah. That, that's all like okay. Well, I remember? Don't I remember some story where some religious organization or somebody decided we're going to do a uh, we're going to have a, a horror branch mm -hmm. to our you know and uh, but you know all of it is going to support our beliefs mm -hmm. but you know we're going to we're going to the scary. They're the cinematic equivalent of a, of a hell house, right? The right, haunted right. house that Christians do. That or the uh, or the or the little fucking tracks that that people used to hand out. Yeah, you know, it's like I used to read those because I was like I was like dug the cool imagery of like the artwork. Satan's like poking you with a stick, and <laughs> and then finally this this thing I'm really excited about. It's a film called Shoplifters about a a family of vagrants find a little girl who's lost, and they presume is um, away from her homeless folks. like them. But she's yeah, yeah but yeah. it's there's something else going on. The the reason that this is Im important to me is the director Koryei Hirokazu directed Aftermath and. Um, Nobody home, and this guy is a master of like reaching into your heart mm -hmm. and just ripping it out. Yeah, um, this well, looks great. You know, it, at one point, you know, um, so essentially, this little girl is missing, is what's going on, mm -hmm. and it turns out her real family are assholes. Yeah, um, and it becomes this whole contest of like, well. Do you give her back to this family who uh, they have a home and they mm -hmm. have money and they have food, or do you give her back to this family who loves her, which yeah. apparently the other family doesn't? Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. I'm, the, I'm, all I needed to see is the director. Yeah, and I'm in. So that's very cool. Uh, what have you been watching? Um, I watched, uh, I watched something that I should have watched a long time ago, and I don't know why I didn't. Um, Ten thousand BC. Oh, right on. Um. It is a dumb, silly, ridiculous movie, but it has mammoths, and it has a saber-toothed tiger, <laughs> and it has these fucking terror birds. The terror birds are the, are the best thing in the whole movie, in my opinion. That, right that whole sequence is, is spot-on and fucking jaw-dropping. That's great. Right on. Um, and, uh, yeah, I, I, I don't know why, because it was, I remember seeing the trailer for it, like, when it first came out, and I was like, oh, I'm all over this. It's a, it's a, it's dumb. There's way too many coincidences. Um, it is cool how they try to incorporate all these different people, that, that um, different races and things, uh -huh. and, 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 uh, but there's a lot of unanswered questions, and there's a lot of stuff that just doesn't make sense. It's a dumb, fun movie. Right. Um, I watched um, the uh, Color Out of Space. Oh yeah, which is a German movie. I think it was originally called Die Farbe, uh -huh. um, which I think means the color, and I'm probably mispronouncing it. Um, uh, along with the H.P. Lovecraft Historical Society's two movies, The Call of Cthulhu and Whisperer, um, The Whisperer in Darkness. Mm -hmm. um, this is. Those are the three best 
including this movie, the three best interpretations of Lovecraft I've ever seen. It's amazing. It's really good. It's made very, very cheaply. And I love it. Mm -hmm. I love it so. Right on. Um, and then I, uh, I felt like there was one other thing that I watched that I wanted to mention. Fortunately, I have a note. I have a note. I have a note. Oh, I watched Lucky. Oh, the really? Harry the Harry Dean Stanton. Stanton. Right yeah, on. Yeah. And, um, and it's great. It's great. Um, I feel like if you watch the documentary on Harry Dean Stanton, which I, the name of which I can't remember right now, um, you've basically seen Lucky. Mm -hmm. It is... He's playing himself at yeah. the end of his days, and uh, it's fascinating um, to watch. It's not, it's not a f great movie, but right. it's a really cool look at an actor that. Uh, um, it's weird because it's hard to separate this character Lucky and the Harry Dean Stanton character in real life. You know, right? Um, it's really cool. You should definitely check it out. Right on. Uh, is that it? Yeah. The last week, my wife and I have been kind of, like I say, been loosely doing this movie a day thing for Halloween and for October. And um, I decided that it, to go back and and while I could have plunged through a bunch of new stuff on Netflix, I didn't want that this this year. Sure. I wanted something a little more comfortable. So the decision was made to do, quote unquote. It's all about the classic horror sure. films. So we've watched, we've sat on the couch for the last like week and watched. Um, we watched uh, Frogs, the Ray Milland. Dude, I love that. Super movie. young Sam Elliott. Yeah, yeah. In yeah. one of the stupidest movies of all time. It is dumb, but man, it's cool. Yeah, it's great. Um, we sat and watched a Blu-ray of uh, Lamberto Bava's Demons, which. <laughs> Was, was awesome. Right. Um, we laid in bed and watched Blazing Saddles, and that was awesome. Um, <laughs> we watched... Uh, I, it's at this point in the week that I signed on to Shudder. Right. So now, follow the House of the Usher. Uh, amazing. Yeah. Amazing, just because it's so clear what's going on in that movie. Yeah. <laughs> it's, and, and I just love... Um, Vincent Price, he's just so plucking away at, like, atonally plugging away on a loot is just the greatest thing in the world. Uh, we watched Black Belly of the Tarantula. It's a giallo. Paulo Covar, we talked right. about him earlier. Uh, last night we watched The House That Drip Blood, the amic another amicus, amicus anthology. Amicus was cool, man. Yeah. It, it, it. The one thing is, every single man in the movie is wearing an ascot. <laughs> <laughs> and at first I thought, Look at Peter Cushing wearing an ascot. But then Christopher Lee shows up. He's wearing an ascot. Yes. The guy that they pass on the street is wearing an ascot. Uh, and then we watched um, Andrea Bianchi's Burial Ground, a.k.a. Knights of Terror. Uh, it features that really weird Michael kid, the one with the mom. This, he looks like he's like 30 years old in a bad right, wig. Right, right. Uh, it's a funny story that we were watching this movie... We had spent the day, this is a little background on Tom, spent the day at the hospital because my wife was feeling, we, th we thought her water had broke. Uh -huh. So we came home, and they finally let us go when we came home. Um, we were watching Burial Ground, and my wife, as she sat up, she just went, oh, 
and her water did break, and we immediately went. So this was our return to we the burial ground. <laughs> it was hilarious. Um, so that's kind of the Halloween stuff. And then we watched this series. Uh, we just started this series, and I know, me and the series, but it's, I'm fucking the name up, Fat, Salt, Something, and Heat. There are four episodes. It's this girl that it has the wonder of a child. Um, the first episode was on on fat, and she talked about making bread and making oil and making olive oil, and it was it's one of those foodie shows. Sure, it's shot um, kind of like the Giada De Laurentiis show that was on Food Channel. Uh-huh. That was straight up. It was shot like porn. Um, from the smacking of her lips to the moaning as she eats to the cutting of the knife. This right. is, this is shot like that without that creepy right side effect. Okay. But it's good stuff. Um but I've really been digging going back and like going like, Yeah, I haven't seen frogs in forever. Right? Yeah, I haven't yeah, seen yeah. this in forever. Um tonight we're making the jump into um the haunting of Hill House. And that we're gonna do one of those episodes. I'd be interested. Tonight. Check and see if Shudder has Stanley. Stanley, I haven't seen Stanley. I haven't seen Stanley. Stanley with the since whole it came out. Part they, it doesn't have Stanley, but it does. I did notice that it has Day of the Animals. Oh, so there's okay. a couple of things on there that are kind of cool. Some cool echo horror. Uh, what are you reading? Um, Monsters from the Id: The Rise of Horror in Fiction and Film by E. Michael Jones. Yeah. Um, one of the things I love about this is that it's rare to see horror given such a scholarly treatment. Mm-hmm. Um, what happened was one of my um, professors from school sent me a, out of the blue, just sent me this box, this care box of books, and they were, and she was talking about how interesting it was because she was a um, she was a grad student at uh, a Christian university. And so they and they had as one of the classes that you had to take was this look at horror in um, in media, and so these are basically the books that she had to to do mm-hmm. or to, to uh, as textbooks at the time, and they're great. Um, one of them you have, uh, yeah, which is uh, the philosophy of horror. It's called the philosophy of horror or paradoxes of the heart yeah. by Noel Carroll. Yeah. And again, it's a very, it's very scholarly. It's like it's yeah. I, as I said to you, I tried to read this book four or five times, and I always tap yeah. out. It's just like I'm, try to get your head around. I'm it. really enjoying cool. this book because um, of his weird take on things. Mm-hmm. Like he, you know, um, I see hor- the birth of horror and all that is far more primal and far more, and he's kind of taken it to the French Revolution. And how things grew out of that, mm. which I, which I get, I see it, but but I think it's missing. Um, it, it it's really cool, and I don't always agree with him, but it's very That's cool. Okay. It's it's very cool to to be reading somebody talking about this stuff. Um, the other thing I'm reading is uh, the Edge of Sundown: Tales of Horror in the Wild West. Nice. Um, it's a Chaosium book. Um, specialized in Lovecraftian things. Only in name, the stories in this really don't have anything to do with the Lovecraft universe. Um, there are um, there are skinwalkers, there's cannibals, there's witches, there's thunderbirds. Oh, very cool! So like zombies, weird there's west. vampires. It's all weird west very stuff. Cool. Um, Cody um, Goodfellow has a story in nice. here. Nice. There's a, there's a few people that we know that have stories in here, and, and 
you know, it was it was five bucks at the convention, and nice. and, and it's one of the better five bucks I've ever spent. Sure, I, I, I would have spent a lot more for it because it's um, all the stories are really good so far. Uh huh. Good, 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 and it's like right up your alley. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, I'm still reading Catherine Dunn's Geek Love. Geek Love is, is I'm just, like Geek I said Love before. Is great, but it's not like you don't sit down with Geek Love. Yeah. And read it in a night or a weekend. Well, so. I either get like what did uh, Bradbury call it, drunk on prose, right? Or or I get to kind of weirded out, and I'm like, mm, I'm gonna take a break from this for yeah. a minute because it gets it's it's challenged. Some of yeah. it's very challenging. Uh, what are you listening to? Anything good? Um, I went back and uh, I've been listening to uh, Les Claypool's Fearless Frog Brigade's The Purple Onion. Yeah. That's my favorite Les Claypool side project. Yeah. That whole album is great. It's kind of a concept al- album in that it uh, in that it, ha- it has these things, these songs that kind of tie everything together. Um, but I mean, like, as far as, like, musicianship and um, it's the same kind of vibe you get from, like, listening to Zappa. Mm-hmm. Where it's like, there's an element of the absurd. Mm-hmm. And yet, you cannot deny uh, the amazing um, playing that's going on. Yeah, you know. And I, uh, yeah, I say that a lot. I, I, even I, if you don't like the music, the song, you can't right. deny that everyone's yeah at the top of their game. Yeah. Uh, let's see. Another more Prince deep dive. Mm-hmm. Emancipation, the truth, Rainbow Children, expectation, and three one two one. What can you say? Oh, yeah. Every, I'm almost done with his discography, but it's there's so much there in the '90s when he was after he had left Warner. Mm-hmm. That is so that whole good. glyph period. Yeah, yeah. That is so good, and um, it you hear not only again I've said this before, but you hear jazz. But I heard some of the chunkiest. Gu- Guitar yeah. I've ever heard on a on the, one to of these. To this day, records. one of my favorite songs of all time is, and I and I don't think it gets name checked enough. It was a big hit, but it doesn't get name checked enough. Is Sign of the Times. Mm-hmm. That song like slays me. Yeah, yeah. I found if you go on YouTube, if you look up, type in Prince Leno. There's a he did a rendition of a song called Guitar, and they filmed it. It was. It was. It never aired. It was just him doing a sound check playing guitar. Oh wow! Ooh. Oh yeah. man! Yeah. The whole the whole vibe of the song is like I love you, baby, but not like I love this guitar. Right, and it's right. like, ugh. and he's just. It's like that. Uh, my, while my guitar gently weeps, kind of shredding. Oh, dude, when he when. <laughs> dude, yeah. I I still to this day don't think that the dudes on the stage knew that that was going to happen. No. I because I, you could see them all clap, whoever all was up there clapping etc all just kind of looking over like well you Whoa. see Tom Petty like going what the fuck is yeah. this yeah yeah amazing. it was amazing yeah, yeah. amazing um, next up I found a band called Morricone Youth they, <laughs> they they do so they did I know they did Night of the Living Dead and they did Mad Max, where they recorded an alternative soundtrack to it, using a lot of the musical themes from the movie, uh-huh. um, and they're really good. I listened to Mad Max, Night of the Living Dead, Prince Ahmed, and then there's a record called Sunrise, A Song of Two Humans. 
You can find them on YouTube. I don't know how where you can find the records. But Wait, they did Prince of Med? Yeah. Really? So they must. Is that a movie? Yeah. So then that's what that's what it is. It's oh, an alternative wow. story to Prince of Med. Um, and they're fucking amazing. Um, new John Schofield called called Combo Sixty Six. If you know John Schofield, you know it's it's super I, airy, loose. Guitar. I know the name. Why do I know the name? He's a guitar god, and he plays. But his arrangements are like as airy. When you think of airy jazz, like Pat Metheny, this is more a lot of more hi hat. You know, as he's playing along. Yes, it's good stuff. Um, years ago, there used to be a band that appeared on Johnny Carson and those kind of things called Los Indios Tabajaras. They were two acoustic guitar players that were dressed like Aztecs. Wow. <laughs> and they're really good. Yeah. They're like um, Gypsy Kings, Gabrielle and Rodrigo kind of good. And um, it's a two-disc set that I found. It's Very called cool. Le Mayor de Los Indios Tabajaras. A couple more. Scored a house with a clock in the walls. In the walls, the new Eli Roth movie by Nathan Barr. It's great. It's very fun and very what you'd expect from that movie. Sure. Um, I found a band called Kikagaku Moyo. The album's called Masano Temples. Um, psychedelia, modern psychedelia. It sounds like uh, they do a whole record of. Uh, they're on a, a whole record of Beatles covers called The Magical Mystery Psych Out, and it's like modern 60s psychedelia. Cool. And it's very, very cool. Losers of the Week, there's four of them. Steve Perry's new record, I think I mentioned it last week, that it sucked. You know what's funny about that is is I, I hear... Okay, so all three albums that have come out recently, you have hated. Um, Egypt Station... Uh, which was the, the, the Paul McCartney, Paul McCartney, yeah, Paul McCartney, Paul Simon, and Steve Perry. I keep hearing nothing but people losing their fucking minds over these albums. Wow, they really, love them. clearly, they really love them. And I don't know, I, I and and I have to. I it, it makes me go, oh, fuck. Now I got to go listen yeah, to these because listen. yeah, because I have people over here telling me that it's terrible, and I have people over here saying it's amazing, and I wonder like. Like for example, Steve Perry, is it really good, or are you just so excited that Steve Perry's doing something? Yeah. You know, I don't know. Or I is it the comfort of that voice? That right. You go, oh yeah, yeah that's yeah, yeah. Steve Perry. Yeah. Uh, soundtrack Ludwig Göransson's soundtrack to Venom is terrible. Generic soundtrack music. Henry Jackman's score to The Predator is. Uh, not very good, and um, you're gonna hate this, but I I listened to the Reverend Horton or Reverend Peyton's Big Damn Bear. I, I don't hate it. Uh, uh, go ahead, go ahead. And I just it just it, I I listened to it and I, it it struck me the same way certain other bands do that I go I I clearly see why people are digging this. Mm -hmm. It just didn't ring my bell. Well, okay, so here are the strikes against Reverend Payton. Is that, uh, <laughs> he is one of the most inarticulate singers ever. Yeah. You don't know what he's saying. Um, his um, his guitar playing, um, while exuberant and exciting, is is very loose. It's yeah. very, it's kind of all over the place. Well, it's um, all that slide guitar, so right. you get away with a lot of that stuff. You get a lot of, uh, now, having said all that, and, and you and I were talking about this, uh, uh, 
Reverend Peyton is not an album kind of band. Right. They put out albums, mm-hmm. and there are songs that I look, I'll pull up and I'll listen to. Two bottles of wine. I mean, like if I ever need to get up and like get moving, <laughs> that's a song. Uh, uh, but having said that, the real magic of Reverend Peyton's Big Damn Band happens live. Yeah. And well, I lump them into things with things with bands like uh, Southern Culture on the Skids and right. like Straight Jackets. And when you see them live, there's this energy there yeah. that's super cool. And, and and they can they can get a crowd like yeah. they can get a crowd of like cross armed millennials who are like, show us what you got yeah, yeah, to yeah. fucking waving their hands in the air and screaming along with you yeah. know you know like. Well, I I could see all that, and and yeah. my my problem it might have also been that I listened to it in the mix of all this other mm-hmm. stuff, and and you know coming off of some of this Prince stuff. Well, and, he, and, it's and, to a be, and hard right. To be honest, in my opinion, earlier. Peyton is better than, mm. than more recent Peyton. But I'm interested. I'm, I, 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 I dig the vibe. I got. There are also what? bands like Floggy Molly and those kind of mm-hmm. bands that, like, yeah, those are. You see them live and yeah, absolutely, yeah. absolutely. I think what you would really, I'll, I'll do some digging for you. But there are some videos of him, um, kind of teaching, like, like going to like um, a school mm-hmm. and talking about. The uh, the slide mm-hmm. guitar, Mississippi Delta Blues, things like cigar box guitars and things like right, that, right, and, right, and, right, right. and doing this whole kind of history, and demonstrating like little things like you know the the way you, that these guys got away with playing with like such a small band was they were playing two different mm-hmm. they were playing bass with their thumb yeah while they played the melody with the with you know with the with their slide you know sure sure and, sure. and uh, it, it's that kind of stuff is really interesting i mean the guy knows his shit mm-hmm. um but yeah as far as like just like putting on an album yeah, it's not that yeah yeah it was solid i mean like again i i was just for me it's hard because like i talk shit about hendrix because he's sloppy and so when i hear sloppy guitar players like it's their thing and i get it mm-hmm. Stevie Ray Vaughan is the same way it's a, it's, a, it's it's kind it's, of a style yeah you right? either dig it or you don't it's like grunge you know it's like <laughs> you know the fuzzy grungy sloppy guitar was kind of what made that yeah. that sound um i wanted to bring up you know um i got to check out these these kids these uh the uh Marconi youth Marconi, yeah i call them kids cuz yeah, this is they're all kids. name um because prince Ackman, um is it was made 1926 and it's largely considered to be the first full-length feature animated film. Mm-hmm. Um, it's it was all this kind of oh, cool. silhouette, almost yeah. Bunraku type yeah, stuff. Yeah, yeah, it's really. a beautiful movie and it's yeah. very important in 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 the animation. Well, that world. seems to be their thing. They reminded me a lot of um, a less rocky. Jello's Flame, if you know those guys. Oh, they did sure. the music to like Black Devil Doll. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And they capture that sort of Italian vibe. They're definitely really going well. after the, a particular sound. Yeah, yeah. It's, yeah, like, yeah. it's like my friend Josh, who does all those mixes. It's like he has that band Tenebre. Mm-hmm. I can't remember now. But yeah. it's, like, it's like, well, clearly you have listened to nothing but, you know, these, watch these movies and listen to these bands because you are you are making new music that sounds like that. Yeah. And, and it's, it's like awesome. the, the the director we talked about last week about the um, how he so nails that 70s vibe. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. The name is escaping. Abracadabra. Yes. Yeah, very cool. All right, cool. 
next week, uh, the plan is John Scolari, an old friend, is coming coming on. Right. John is the head of Dreams and Visions Press. They did this Robert or, or Ralph McQuarrie book of Star Wars right. images. Uh, he did this three book or two book set on Tomb Ra- the art of Tomb Raider. Right. And he he's been showing photos. He's in Pens- uh, Pennsylvania now near Pittsburgh doing this giant book on Night of the Living Dead. Yeah. He just there was that awesome picture. Go, go ahead. Yeah, he just posted a picture of himself standing in the basement of the farmhouse. Yes. And it's just... I know John. If John how, can, involved, how can that place not be a shrine now? Know. You know, it's like well, John was really involved when they were trying to rebuild the the building in the Evansville Cemetery. Mm-hmm. And John flies back there all the time. Like Every time they do one of the walkthroughs through the Monroeville Night Mall. of the Living Dead is so important. It's yeah. so important. Yeah. Jo- John, I, I don't know much about this book that he's doing. Mm-hmm. I know that it's going to be really cool. Well, I'm looking forward to finding out about this, yeah. this book. That so there's doing. that. Uh, thanks again to Tom Mess for coming on, and uh, please go to our Facebook page and um, Patreon page and all that other stuff. Here in a couple of weeks, we're going to be trying something. We're going to be we're going to be flying by the seat of our pants trying something that we've never tried before, but I'm really looking forward to it. I think it'll be fun. The We talked about it before, the live thing. The live thing. Yeah, yeah that's going to be interesting because it's going to be the hope is not to not edit like we don't do these edit these shows, right. but also keep things moving and um, handle the three ring circus of, of doing live stuff. It'll, it'll be, be great. Interesting. It'll yeah. be great. So there we go. Uh, that's it for the Bones Material Podcast. I'm Tom Carnell and I'm Langley West. Stay scary. So what? Eat deal.